Ah, oh, that was disappointing. Cracked up in my beer. It, it got a little juicy. And it juiced directly onto the mouse pad. Hello, and welcome to episode 183 of Flicks in a Six, the podcast I definitely did not forget to edit last week. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Costanzo, with me forever and always, the man, the myth, the eternal, Alessandro Welsey. Say hello, Al. Oh, wait. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's messed up, man. <laughs> Was that from the movie? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, Al flipped me off. For those of you. Yeah, this is definitely an audio, this is definitely a video medium. <laughs> the audience could definitely see me do that. <laughs> On this week's episode, we have Mission Impossible delays. Uh a Staten Island ferry, red yeah. one. Mm-hmm. King Triton gets the Diane Kruger treatment. Oh boy. And more news and nuggets, all before diving into our flick of the week, the Eternals. But first, Al, what are we drinking? There's going to be multiple Krugers on this one. Oh, excellent. One. I love when there's a few Krugers, you know? There's, a, well, this one's going to be funny because it's like Krugerception because I have a note on here about how there was a Kruger effect, but it's from Saturday night, Friday night, Friday night. And I don't remember what that Kruger effect was, but I have a <laughs> link. So it's going to oh, be good. super exciting for us to discover this together. It's because also, I, I mean, it's going to be like a forced Kruger when you remember it. <laughs> yes. Um, and there was another one I had the other day, too. The only difference being that it wasn't a Kruger in that you, typically the way we've defined the Kruger effect, right, is where it's like you encounter a thing for the first time. Yep. And then you see it again. Right. That's like yeah. the true Bodert meinhof effect that we've repurposed as the, the Diane Kruger effect. Mm-hmm. This one wasn't like a thing that I've seen for the first time, but it was like a niche obscure thing. I can't remember what it was now, but the, the other day I encountered something that was like, I was already familiar with. Yeah. And then saw another reference to it, like two hours later. And I was yeah, like, I think that, I think that fully counts as a Kruger. I, I think so too. And yeah. I just, I didn't have my phone on me at the time, so I didn't record it. And I don't remember what it was now, but that was funny. But this other one, I have a, a link to, I think it was to a tweet. I know I clicked on the link, but I didn't look at it. So we're going to like rediscover it together. Um, I, I just want to know that this phenomenon has has gotten so out of hand that when it happened, I turned to Kim and I was like, I just got Diane Kruger hard. And she understood what I meant. <laughs> and she doesn't, okay, so, even, she doesn't even listen to the show. <laughs> oh, so you've explained the Kruger effect to her. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, oh, what we're man. drinking, what we're drinking is a Trogues. We've done a couple of them on the show. Sure. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of any of them. Um, this is... <laughs> Well, I can tell you this. Don't they, have, uh, aren't I, they, don't they have like a famous like peanut butter chocolate jam? Probably. The problem is, uh, I probably had Trogues for the first time, like, I don't know, let's call it eight years ago. And I had Trogues Nugget Nectar. Nugget Nectar. I've had that one. We did, I think really, we did that one. Really solid beer. I couldn't remember if we did it on the show or not, but I know I've had it a couple of times. That was the first one I had. That's the only one that's name I actually remember. I've had a, I know I've had a bunch of other ones. None of them have been retained within my brain. I don't recall what the names of any of them. Also, I know they rebranded at some point between when I had had the original like time I sampled the Nugget Nectar and since and like till now where like there used to be a frog involved, right? 
I'm not sure all I know is that all the can slash bottle art and label all looks very homogenous now, where I feel like they used to be mm-hmm. more unique back then. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I could pull up an old Troegs. I remember the old Troegs, like Nugget Nectar was a bottle with a red label, and I really like that beer. It was a solid beer. Um now all of them are like black with this white. It looks like a guitar pick is their logo. It's like shaped. Yeah, like a, a misshapen guitar pick. What what um what are you supposed to do with that umlaut? Um, I don't know. I always assumed it was just trogues, but maybe it's troegs. You've been pronouncing it that way. I, I honestly don't know which one's correct. Hmm. True eggs. <laughs> true? It's going to be true a, a hard you now? It's hard you. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's not how an umlaut works. <laughs> it actually just turns it into a different vowel entirely. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. You see the two dots above the U? You just trace those lines straight up now. Above the O, and it's just true, true. Is this one of those situations where you blur the two separate vowel sounds and it becomes trigs? No, I hope not. Me too. I'm, I'm looking. I'm not seeing any old, any old logos, and uh, I'm gonna call bullshit because I, I also know that it didn't look like this, or maybe it's the. I am seeing some very colorful cans. Yeah. That's what it was, right? It clashed. Mad Elf. I've had that one. Yes, that's their Christmas beer. I've I've definitely had that one. The hell? Right. What am I thinking of? Anyway, what is this beer? So this is When in Doubt. It's a Hell's Lager. Um, oh, hey, look at that. It's 4.3% <coughs> alcohol by volume. You're to serve it in a lager glass, which I'm not doing. I have a generic 12-ounce uh, glass. What is this? That... Seems like the right glass based on ah! this very weird. <laughs> it's not even a picture or it's just like a, ah. a generic shading. Son of a bitch. It does kind of look like the generic shading of that glass. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you got it right. I got it wrong this time. Um, the color is pale gold. It's 12 fluid ounces. The yeast is unhelpfully their house lager yeast. <laughs> it's made with Pilsner malt. When in doubt, is all harmony... It begins with a single note, a clean and delicate Pilsner malt, reminiscent of freshly baked bread. Tradition hops add hints of wildflower and subtle bitterness, Ooh. and our crisp lager yeast pulls it all together. In the end, this refreshing Hell's lager is greater than the sum of its parts, and when in doubt, always a good call. That's a really nice write-up. Solid. I liked that. I liked that thing about freshly baked bread. That was my favorite. Yes, part. it's it's <laughs> that has a it has a very specific connotation. One that I guess a generic-ish hell is lager would aspire to. Are you pronouncing the e? And are you supposed to? Subtly, I think yes. Hmm. I just thought it was like hell's. I think it's supposed to have one and a half syllables. Hell's, hell's, hell's. <laughs> like not quite hell's bells. Which, I mean, there's got to be a beer called Hell's Bells, right? I would assume so, yes. Or Hell's not, Bells. Let's do it. <laughs> that's, that'll be out. Honest, that's the one we're going to do. <laughs> Hell's Bells. <laughs> Throw an umlaut over one of the bells. <laughs> no. Over all the consonants. Oh, yes. <laughs> Every oh, single consonant. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it actually looks like a dotted line that we misprinted when it hits the vowels. Did you guys print this label on a dot matrix printer? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I 
I used to have a, one of those printers like a hundred years ago and I was so like jazzed up about having a computer for the first time. And like, mm-hmm. mind you, we got like our first, like, what was it? Windows 3.2, 3.1. What was it? Whatever that was, whatever that windows was computer. Like I'm pretty sure relatively close, if not after like 95 came out. Like, mm-hmm. so it was, you know, dated and, uh, but to me, Listen, it was amazing. You, 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 I, you you can't you can't like self deprecatingly talk about dated technology around me because the first like twenty something years, everything we had was always some sort of dated. Sure, but I mean, like we we were pretty we were kind of like that too um, for a long time because like I I wrote papers on a typewriter. I wrote one paper on a word processor once. Yes. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> my See, mom that, definitely uh, had a word processor is pretty advanced for what I'm talking about. No, I know. My my mom definitely had a typewriter. I think it was my mom's typewriter. Mm. Um, and like I used to play with it like as a kid, sure. basically, just because I found it fascinating. Yeah. Um, and that was at the time where we had a computer that was only one percent more technologically advanced than it. Sure. So that that is what it is. We had a time though when I was in late middle school or early high school, I forget exactly what grade it was where our computer, our house like desktop died and mm. I had an important paper. And so my dad basically not rented, but like signed out a word processor from work. And so I wrote my paper on that word processor because we didn't have a computer at home. That's awesome. For like I, a month or whatever it was. I was going to say, remember remember how houses used to have a computer room? And then I remember that your house has a computer room. <laughs> My house has a computer room. It, it's funny. It went from a house computer room for many years in which it had a desktop, multiple different desktops over the lifespan of it. And then it became a guest room for a while. And we got rid of the desk entirely. Mm. And then me and my dad built a new desk. And now it's... Not a computer room so much as an office, because my dad obviously works from home a lot now, sure. especially like since the pandemic started. So it's like he brings a laptop to work in it, but it is yeah. essentially back to being a computer room now. Uh, that's, that's kind of funny. That room went full circle. I went uh, a quick aside on my already... On, already on the story that wasn't aside. Oh, Say, so are you uh, tangenting your own tangents? I, I am, uh, because... Years ago, I went to my buddy's house. He, we were in like the fourth grade when he moved to Connecticut. Uh, it was a bummer, and finally got was to that go shrimp. Again. No, no, uh, that was this is Tim Allen. Weirdly enough, <laughs> it's not not to the Infinity tool man Taylor, but <laughs> but my friend Tim Allen, and uh, we you know we get to his I get to his house, and it's they moved to Connecticut, and it's like this massive just. Massive house. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not exaggerating. I got lost at one point and couldn't find my way back down to the main. That sounds like hyperbole. Nope. Uh, lots of turns, lots of doors that I was not expecting. One of which was a door to what seemed like a closet, which was actually a staircase on the on I don't know the west wing of the house, <laughs> and that was how I was supposed to get down to where I was at. I did find a library. Well, it was. It felt like the. It felt like the. Um, the castle in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> you know. Anyway, uh, they had a computer wing, basically, because it was like you turned left on like in a whole some wing. 
Yeah, like you like turned left and there was this giant open area like out of this hallway where they had the computer sitting and it like it looked so empty because the room was so big and the computer was just sitting there and there was like doors all around that area too. So like, yeah, it had its own wing. That's impressive. It was twisted. Um, I eventually did find my way out of that house. Uh, The original story, though, was back when I got that computer, I was all jazzed up about it and I was playing with uh, MS Paint. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I could play with like these, all these different tools to draw some stuff. And uh, I made like a Nike swoosh and I made a black background and I made a red, the red check. And then I tried printing it on the dot matrix printer. Um, Not, not a color print. Sorry, I was going to let you keep telling that story, but. My phone was on the brink of death, and I couldn't reach the charger because it got hooked under the couch. <laughs> God, you got installed into the couch. I did. <laughs> uh, Microsoft Paint was the last thing I heard. Microsoft Paint. I have to take a note down because now you're giving me work to do. I'm sorry. You could have just 15, left it in. It was my fault. Fifteen or so to eighteen. So Microsoft Paint. Uh, yes. Getting starting to play with it, thought it was really cool. It's making all sorts of designs and shapes and stuff. It's like I'm gonna make. I figured out how to do like that that thing where you draw the line and you could like bend it. And I did that a few times, and I made like a perfect Nike swoosh. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh. And then I made the background black, and I made the check red, and then I tried to print it. <laughs> and, oh no! And uh, you use an entire ink cartridge. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was. Back it was then, not. It, was like it, was, it wasn't good. I don't even know. Like, what was it? What was the ink? Was it like a ribbon? I don't even remember like what it actually looked like. Oh, I don't remember what the cartridges or whatever it was looked like. It took a good then. half an hour though, because it was like <laughs> it was like na, 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 na. it was like just a machine cranking away, <laughs> trying to print this garbage. And that was back when like trying to cancel a print job was. I mean, it's it's still hard. Yeah, it required, like, <coughs> archaic runes. Yeah. You had to get the spell just right. <laughs> Pentagrams and such. Um, I'm, I'm down to try the Hell of Spellus. Are you, are you ready? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. We haven't tried the beer yet. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Hells, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Hellus, yeah. Hellus. Yellus. <laughs> uh, this is... This is pretty good. Uh, it's it's simple. I feel like it's a little understated, which I'm fine with. And it's definitely a hell's. What? It's it's a hell's lager. Mm-hmm. But the malt is pilsner. I mean, I need Correct. you to break this one down for me. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> so I'm I'm a little rusty on my beer stuff because it's been like over a year and a half since I've made a beer, but. This is all knowledge that I'm retaining. Yeah, it's it's essentially a Pilsner. You can use Pilsner malt even for non-Pilsner beers. In fact, yeah. many beers, even darker beers, you may have, say, a crystal malt or a Vienna malt or whatever sort of Maris Otter, maybe. Uh, Maris Otter typically is used in place of Pilsner malt if you want to have just a little bit more flavor and action going on. But, you know, you can use any sort of amber malt or whatever but if you don't want to use the whole thing as that because they can be expensive or overwhelming if you make them entirely that way 
maybe you want to make a amber lager or a red ale. And so you might buy amber malt, but you would buy a small amount of Pilsner malt as well. It's the most basic, simple, clean, light mm. malt you can get just to beef up the body of the the beer for like from an alcohol perspective. You want those sugars to be fermented to become mm. more alcohol, but you don't want that light flavor. You want the dark flavor, but you don't want only that because it can be overwhelming. So uh, okay. you might buy... Two thirds of it might be amber malt, and then you might buy a third of it just to be Pilsner malt, just to get that extra oomph for the fermentation. Oh, all right. Huh. Thanks for that. But when you're making a Pilsner beer, mm. you only use Pilsner malt typically, or a similar adjunct. And for a Hellas Lager, it's I. It's more. I'm I'm 99% sure, and it's weird that I don't recall this 100% right off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure Hells is the hop varietal so um that's the style hop. of the hop varietal correct that's that's a that's a good name for you i'm a little bit uh i'm a little bit rusty so <laughs> uh al what would you give this what would you give this beer this is not typically um my style of beer to drink as i it's well documented on the show i don't love super basic pilsner type lagers mm. Um, but this is fine, and it's a very good, um, it's a very good uh, version of this style of beer. I'm going to read you a quick thing because I feel embarrassed that I don't remember all of the thing, <laughs> uh, all of the definitions of all these things at the moment. So this is a German style Helles. I'm reading the definition for on craftbeer.com. A beer for beer lovers. The German style Helles is a malt scented. Lager beer that balances a pleasant malt sweetness and body with floral, noble hops, and restrained bitterness. The Hellas is a masterclass in restraint, subtlety, and drinkability, which... That's a type of... Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> subtlety and drinkability, which makes it an enduring style for true beer lovers and an elusive style for craft brewers to recreate. The German Hellas reminds beer lovers that the simple things in life are usually the most rewarding and worth pursuing. The German-style Helles means pale in color, as these beers are often golden. The German-style Helles lager is a bit rounder or fuller body than light lager and even all malt pilsners. Helles lager beers offer a touch of sweetness that balances a measurable addition of spicy German hop flavor and light bitterness. The malt character is soft and bready, making it a terrific complement to light dishes such as salad or fresh shellfish like clams. Clean and crisp, this is a refreshing beer with substance. Low levels of yeast produced sulfur aromas and flavors may be common. Cool. I uh, I really like it. I, I know you're not used to, you're saying you're not like a big fan of the pills. I, I really appreciate like this very simple, like very clean tasting beer. Like it's like there's nothing, there's not a lot going on. Like I said, when I had my first sip, I feel like it's like understated, but in a good way. It's just like, just nice, and I could see, I could see drinking something like this with some, with some seafood there. I'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is essentially it's the next step up from the simplest and most innocent of like lagers, where like a Trogues. pilsner. <laughs> That's how you say it. <laughs> Trogues. T R O W G Z was the pronunciation. Trogues. I think I had. I had it Trogues. right there. <laughs> she's Trogues. She's definitely she's definitely dropping the e in there uh even though the it's Trogues. That's yeah, what she's saying. it's 
The E in Trogues is just as subtle as the E in Hells. Gotcha. That's a half E. <laughs> yes. Like I said, one and a half syllables. Um, I yeah, I was also I was wrong. It was not the hops. I think it's just this. It's basically it feels like it's it's like a half a step up from pure unadulterated pilsner. <laughs> Can we? Okay, that's another one of our beers. <laughs> the pure We're gonna have the Hellas Bellas and the pure unadulterated pilsner. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'm I'm going I'm going. I think this is a thruckle. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just reminded me of something that we're going to have to tackle in further depth in what we're consuming. Mm. But I was watching something last night. And so to keep it, to preserve it for sure. what we're consuming, I'm not going to say what I was watching. I was watching something last night in which someone was speaking in Spanish and there was like a back and forth that involved a, translation to English and someone said something about a thruple, mm. but they said it in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> it was translated to English. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, yeah, wait, what did you give the beer? Did you agree? Is it a, is it I, a I would say two. A I would say two. two. It's, a, it's a two, two thuckles, a single, a, a single thumb, a, a tuckle. I think two thuckles is fine. I, I think well, we've taken this bit far enough. If three thuckles, <laughs> if three thuckles is a thruckle, then why sure. can't two two thuckles be a tuckle <laughs> or a duckle? Double. Oh, if you're gonna go thuckle. duo or double, yeah, okay. Yeah, I can I can get down with duckle. Yeah. Right. Al, I think I think it's worth moving on. I don't know. <laughs> Just news and nuggets. <laughs> uh, I want to know about Mission Impossible, please. And here's what I want to know. I part of me thought we were done. Not that it had, like, some sort of strong conclusion. I just, I thought, surely we've done this enough. (laughs) Well, listen, your own personal preference notwithstanding, like, it's been pretty well documented that they, I think, were shooting back-to-back the next two. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I thought you were aware. I thought that was something we discussed pre-hiatus. We may have, but if we're talking pre-hiatus, that's a time that I don't remember at all. This is one of those things where you like you talk in epochs, right? Yeah. And it's like pre-pandemic, the epochs were pretty well defined for everyone. But now mm-hmm. we've had like two epochs on the show, and that's pre-pandemic and also pre-hiatus. Yeah, pre-hiatus, pre-pandemic, and now now I'm, I'm in a post-baby world. I'm pretty sure epochs aren't supposed to be de- like defined by a year or two i'm, I'm pretty sure this supposed to be like a yeah thousand but years. they they feel like they feel like i uh, they feel like decades though <laughs> they feel like decades but like i'm pretty sure this supposed to be defined by the thousand or million years depending on sure. which epoch you're talking about sure i thought it was epoch i think it, it's one of those tomato tomato situations oh. as long as it's not a tomato potato situation i'm fine with it <laughs> 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 oh man uh, okay, so Mission Impossible, you said they're shooting them back-to-back. Yes, let me just find my tab, because I have a lot of them. Okay, on the wrap, this is from several days ago. I, I can't recall when. <laughs> January 21st. Is anyone even going to know what this means? Because we still technically haven't released, as of this recording, last week's episode. <laughs> no. Okay, Mission Impossible 7 and 8 pushed back a year to 2023 and 2024. 
the production on the back-to-back sequels began in 2020. Sorry, this is why I thought you had been aware of it, because it was like a pretty big deal during like the height of the pandemic that Cruz went on one of those like absolute rants at the crew. And I'm actually kind of sympathetic to him in this uh... case, because people were not adhering to pandemic i do i do remember hearing about this yeah and he's like listen we're not gonna get any of this done everyone's gonna be in danger we're gonna waste a ton of money and like endanger ourselves if everyone doesn't adhere to the distancing and the like the masks weird for tom cruise and all of the baggage he carries to have been so supportive of what is supposed to be taking care of like the cast and crew so i was Mm. vaguely surprised by that i don't know why but i was (laughs) um Mission Impossible 7 and 8 have been pushed back a year to 2023 and 2024, Paramount Pictures announced on Friday. And good luck figuring out what Friday I'm talking about when you listen to this episode. <laughs> the release dates for both it's films have... <laughs> it's not It's really not, actually. Um, the release dates for both films have been postponed numerous times due to the ongo- ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Uh, this is just some date stuff that doesn't matter. So the... Short version is Mission Impossible 7 is now slated for July 14th, 2023, and 8 is now slated for June 28th, 2024. After thoughtful consideration, Paramount Pictures and Skydance have decided to postpone the release dates for Mission Impossible 7 and 8 in response to delays due to the ongoing pandemic. The new release dates will be, again, those dates I just said. We look forward to providing moviegoers with an unparalleled theatrical experience. Okay. Okay, sure. Production on the back-to-back sequels begin began in 2020. Uh, the seventh was first shut down in February of 2020 at Damn. the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. It resumed last fall and has shot in Italy, Norway, and most recently London. Chris McQuarrie, who directed the previous two movies in the franchise and is also directing eight, stars Tom Cruise. No, that's a terrible sentence. All right, enough of this. Uh, Mission Impossible 7 and 8 are shooting back-to-back, and they've been delayed. Uh, (laughs) Well, hang on a second. I want to get to this cast thing, though, because there's some interesting names that I don't recall hearing about. So Mission Impossible 7 stars Tom Cruise, Rebecca Ferguson, Vanessa Kirby, Simon Pegg, Haley Atwell, Palm Clementif, Carrie Elways, and Angela Bassett. Was Carrie Elways in one of the other ones? Not that I recall. Huh. Nor were Haley Atwell or Palm Clementif, so. Yeah, the, those, I, I, I'm looking at pictures of everybody. I don't recognize them. I vaguely, I thought maybe Carrie Elwes was in one of the other ones, but. I, I don't think so. I do and remember I that in the last one, it had, uh, there were two actresses that look, was it Rebecca Ferguson and Michelle Monaghan, who are not the same person, but in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I kept forgetting who I was, who each character was. (laughs) Definitely not the same person. And yet, and I never thought about it until you just kind of implicitly made this comparison right now. (laughs) They do look weirdly similar for one being his wife and one being his now like recurring partner in the series. Right. And then looking at the, I'm scrolling through IMDb. I'm like, these are two different people. They're definitely two different people. They have different names. They play different characters. And I'm pretty sure they've, they've used the same headshot for both. (laughs) <laughs> also, also, I'm 95% sure one of them is American, one of them is British, but... Acting. <laughs> also, Vanessa Kirby definitely wasn't in any of these either. She was... Unless I'm mistaken, isn't she the one who played Jason Satham's sister in Hobbs and Shaw? Oh, I was also going to say, wasn't she in... 
No, she was in Fallout. Was she? Yeah. Who was she in that? The same character. That's not helpful. Uh, the White Widow. I am right in who I'm thinking of, right? I think so. She was in Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, yeah okay. That's, That's what I was looking for. I have no recollection of her in She's Mission in Impossible. The Crown. She was in Pieces of a One. I don't recognize these movies. I, I'm going to have to give the Mission Impossible movies another watch. I... I enjoy them fine. I just really i I don't remember one to the next. The only one that stands the, like the only storylines that semi stand out to me are the first and second one, and the rest of no. it kind of blurs for me. No, the first three all feel very distinct to me. Hmm. Um, the third one had a <laughs> Kate Winslet, right? Yes. No, that was <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, Lois. <laughs> yes. It had Kate Winslet uh, played. Well done. I'm glad you picked that up immediately. <laughs> oh, if anyone's going to get it, it's me. Seymour. <laughs> that was one of the great, totally random and stupid, idiotic Family Guy jokes that, that, yeah. that existed. Um, it's from 4 on. Remember, like, I've seen 4 so many times. And I, I remember telling you at some point in our run of the show where I had seen it probably 15 times and I still wasn't 100% sure what happened in the third act of that movie. Yeah, and I don't remember any. Four was called what? Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol. Rogue Nation. Completely forgot about Rogue Nation. Yeah, these, all of these. Yeah, I, I kind of see what you're saying. Four on, four on. That's that's one, where they all one feel. long movie. But that's also, I think, comes down to the first three had separate directors. They made a big deal about that. Mm-hmm. That each one had a different director. The fourth one, I think, still may not have. That wasn't, um, what's his name, right? That wasn't Macquarie. Uh, let me see. Brad Bird. Yes, Brad Bird, that right. That makes sense. That, Brad think, Bird, that right. That right. <laughs> that right. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Um, Rogue Nation was, that one I don't remember super well, but that was the first Macquarie one, and everything from there feels very similar. Jeremy Renner was in that? I have to rewatch these movies. There's clearly a strong connection between that whole, like, basically. So the last, the last three were a actual trilogy, like that were like tightly coupled, unofficially. But yeah, Jeremy Renner kind of tips that whole thing off, which is to say, the Brad Bird directed Ghost Protocol tips off where like, and that's why like they'll feel similar because from then on, it's almost like super serialized. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Mission Impossible you know, one, it's, two, and th- it, it's funny that the ones that are really connected are not numbered. Yeah, Mission Impossible <laughs> one, two, and three are all almost like standalone. Right, that's how I four, remember them too. At the end of four, they do a head nod to three because they there was a whole storyline with Jeremy Renner that he felt. Well, I don't want to say in case anyone hasn't seen it. Not that like these movies are ten years old now at this point, but whatever. Um. There was a head nod at the end of the movie to what happened between three and four. And that's the first time that they really admitted like the passage of time. Okay. So otherwise it felt very James Bondish, where it's like these things all happen one after another. And yet like the chronology is not super important. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I feel like, I feel like I would really enjoy a month or two of like peppering in all of the mission impossibles and really just watching. Like I have like really, there's, I have really good memories of watching those movies for the first time. I, I 
the second one stands out specifically because I think it was like my first DVD. It was that and like the. I think it was everyone's first DVD, and I don't just mean people of our generation. I mean every single person that that was it was it was the first DVD. (laughs) It may have been the first DVD. First, because I had a I had a DVD of it, and I think everyone I knew at that time had one, and. I was introduced to the Mission Impossible series by you. I definitely watched the first one with you. Yeah. Um, and from then on, like, grew to love that in the second one. And my favorite of them is still the third. My favorite for a long time was the second one until I realized how, like, patently absurd it is. Oh, yeah. And that has a lot to do with John Woo, I think. But still. I, uh, <laughs> the other day, I had to go to Kim's car to get something out of her, out of it. And I asked her where and her you key saw was. Dove? No, I asked her where her key was, and she said it's in her jacket pocket. And I turned and I went, my left <laughs> jacket pocket. <laughs> and she had no idea. <laughs> what a stupid reference. What a stupidly fantastic reference. <laughs> I you'd appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. It just, it's a stupid, one of those, for whatever reason, the movies that I watched, for like that span of fifteen years, I feel like I have like the the lines all memorized. Sure, it was such a weird thing for them to focus on in such great detail because they did. We have that permanently ingrained. It might be. It might end up being my last. Like when hopefully, like my like my whole family is like gathered around my deathbed when I'm like 115 years old. It's gonna be the last line that I. Like <laughs> utter <laughs> my, my what my right or my left, whichever is Jack. <laughs> what a stupid line to remember. There is that, and then I vaguely like in the first one he there's the gum right. The first one has the red and green gum. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I was like there was a line, and I just remembered it. It was like you mash them together, red and green, mash them together. Asa lasagna, don't get any on you. <laughs> Oh my god! And he sticks it to the fish tank. Oh my goodness! What a oh man! What a time to make movies. You just do That's the thing the, is like whatever you want. The first three, there are so many very distinct things, and and, and so much of it comes straight down to like just direction and cinematography stuff, right? Like I, the already the aforementioned John Woo, yeah, and so many other things. J.J. Abrams did the third one, and it's 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 as it's as J.J. Abrams as a thing can be it's if you took jj abrams and let him direct a james bond movie essentially right right um and that's all great it's all absurd it's fine it's fun from four on four has some of its own singular characteristics but it's kind of the bridge to the first three being like singularly unique to became a homogenized like serialized story told by Cruz and chris mcquarrie and that's not criticism either it's just Mm. it feels all very same in a way that a trilogy would feel and that's okay uh it's just not what mission impossible was yeah it kind of it's funny it's like the same a similar evolution with james bond right one off yeah one off things that are not connected even if they have the same people in them but then we get what five movies that were Something like that, yeah. Casino, and yeah, I mean everything kind of, (laughs) everything kind of gravitated that direction. Like even the MCU, right, where it was all standalone things that were kind of connected by Easter eggs, became a yeah totally synergistic property. We're seeing that 
now with Star Wars, and we'll talk about it more with the Book of Mando Fett at the end of the episode. Sure. And I saw kind of something. Oh, it was, I was reading after watching this week's episode before we recorded. I was I was reading um, Alan Seppenwall's recap of this week's episode, and, and he mentioned like he's hypothesizing that John Favreau is looking at like the Star Wars TV properties as one big story as opposed to several shows that sure. are interconnected. It's one tapestry of a television show with different discrete elements to it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so, I mean, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll get more of that later, but it is like starting to play like a, almost like a, there was Batman, the animated series, and there was like a Batman and Superman adventures. And like the stories kind of crisscross and overlap on like continuing parts. I feel like that's what we're getting into here. Well, what he, what he, referenced was the cw dc verse sure with flash and green arrow and legends tomorrow and supergirl all becoming kind of one tapestry of a television show and this is even more of that and and i don't mean to go off on that full-blown tangent but it's i'm I'm seeing kind of a parallel here Mm -hmm. where the macquarie like mission impossibles at this point i barely remember rogue nation i just remember some big plot points to it and and i I only really watched that movie once so that i could go see fallout for us to do on the show it's the only one we've done on the show right and i remember you watching them in quick succession yeah and rogue nation was fine i i enjoyed it well enough i actually probably enjoyed it better than ghost protocol overall because i felt like at the time that i watched it when it was done i felt like i remembered like I understood start to finish what happened in the movie in, mm. in a way that I didn't for whatever reason in Ghost Protocol for a while, uh, but I didn't retain a ton of it because it felt so same to everything I had seen yeah. before and after. Yeah, interesting. Oh, man, I really want to go back. And I I feel like I, I, I'm like super fascinated by this right now, and I really want to watch all of them. Like I want to stop what I'm doing <laughs> and, and watch them all. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to contaminate you that way. It's all good, but Mission Impossible Two is a fever dream in this whole series, right? Like he's like he he is in a coma, he has long hair, and then he wakes up and it's Mission Impossible Three. <laughs> like it's too like there's too much there's too much of it that's clearly a dream sequence. As so is the this... whole thing. He actually was climbing the Moab and fell, <laughs> and then... <laughs> I thought it was gonna be more like Archer when it went into like the dream verse like situation and then there was like they had like multiple different seasons of him in a coma and it's where it's like they, they he ends one dream and it becomes another dream that's, that's <laughs> but like idea. like the first one ends and like let's say like the helicopter explodes with him on the surface yeah. of the train <laughs> yes <laughs> and he wakes up in like three and it's like all of two was just a dream while he was in a coma between one and three <laughs> yeah <laughs> What, dude? It just woke up. <laughs> oh, man. All right, cool. So, more Mission Possible, which I can prepare for by watching even more Mission Possible. You have time. It seems that way. Did you ever watch the series? The old series? No. Yeah, no? I mean, there. I was just curious. <laughs> what, what's going on with the Staten Island Ferry? Oh, okay. Oh, so this is fun. So you have no idea what I'm going to go after here. No. Fantastic. Let me just close that tab because I have like 15 open. Okay. So, this is one of those ones where when I open up my notes, I immediately knew what it was referencing to. Mm. This is on the AP. This is from a few days ago. 
SNL Comics Jost and Davidson buy Staten Island Ferry Boat. Amazing. <laughs> Saturday Night Live Comics Colin Jost and Pete Davidson have purchased a decommissioned Staten Island Ferry Boat for $280,000, which plans to turn it into New York's hottest club. Yeah, well, naturally. I, I assumed that was coming. This club has everything. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was my own parenthetical. Uh, anytime you say that you're going to turn something into New York's hottest club, I have to think of Stefan. Yep. yep. That's <laughs> Jost, and Dave, Jost and Davidson teamed up with Comic Con. I really club hope owner. they have him pitch it on the weekend update. <laughs> like, come on. That'd be, it'd be so great. They're definitely going to do that. Jost and Davidson teamed up with comedy club owner Paul Italia on Wednesday's winning bid for the John F. Kennedy, a 277-foot vessel that shuttled. No. That one was the worst. (laughs) As a former commuter on the Staten Island Ferry, there was a handful of boats that when you saw it pull in and go, you're like, ah. <laughs> that was the one. that was one of them. <laughs> it's the worst. Yep. It's a 277 foot vessel that shuttled commuters between the New York City boroughs of Manhattan and Staten Island from 1965 until it was taken out of service late August. Sorry, last August. The Staten Island Ferry is definitely something iconic. Italia, a real estate investor and co-owner of the restaurant and comedy club The Stand, <laughs> said Friday. That's definitely a sentence. We wanted to figure out a way to save it and do something special with it. Atalia said transforming the, what a weird detail, the 2100 ton ferry into an entertainment venue will cost millions of dollars and won't happen anytime soon. This was a Mad Libs fill out and it was like ferry fact. (laughs) That's what you have to fill in here. Honestly, who the fuck cares about how many tons the ferry weighs? Hmm. Uh, it's really early stages here. You have a great idea and you're working on executing it. And the first step is the acquisition of the boat. And I think that that's the story right now. And probably the hardest step I would imagine. (laughs) (laughs) We were successful in acquiring the boat and making sure it didn't go into the scrapyard like the last two. Wow. Yeah. Now that boat should probably go in the scrapyard. There is all sorts of critters running around that boat. Uh, Ship. Is it a ship or a boat? Is there like a, um, it's a ship there right? is definitely a strict maritime definition of that that yeah. I should probably know. Insofar as like maritime delivering law. <laughs> more on that later. Um, <laughs> insofar as delivering this story to everyone, but I don't know and I don't care. Sure. Um, my final note on this was that quote. Sorry. The new owners have 10 business days to secure a place to dock the vessel and tow it there. Quote, we're working on that. <laughs> oh, my God. Awesome. I, uh, um, I think many those... a nap on the John F. Kennedy. Well, doesn't it take like four hours to go from Staten Island to Manhattan? Oh, half an hour. What about on the John F. Kennedy? <laughs> it would take a while. <laughs> there, were, there were times there were times where I'd be on the ferry and like, you know, they were behind schedule. So you get there in 15 minutes and you're like. Okay, <laughs> why, why can't we just make this the normal? Gas prices, I imagine. Oh, man. Ferry story. I was on the, one of the boats. It was one of the newer ones at the time, which is now old, um, but not as old as that one. Uh, and crazy, crazy foggy. 
like wild fog. San Francisco. We're on it. Yeah, we're on it. About half hour has gone by and the fog is starting to disperse. And you you realize that we are tremendously off course. (laughs) Like (laughs) so much so that we're doing like a little circle, like a little backtrack circle to get to the to the slip. It was it was bad. It was I thought you were gonna say something absurd like, you know, the the fog clears in New Hampshire. Like (laughs) basically. Like just totally totally he missed the mark side of Staten Island. Entirely the wrong entirely the wrong spot. (laughs) So we're up in Maine near Russia. (laughs) No, that's not how Russia works. (laughs) Oh man. That's cool. I, uh, I'll, I'm not going to go ever, but, um, I no, like the I just, idea of it existing. Sure. I just thought specifically the conjunction of SNL and Staten Island would be appealing to you to hear about yeah. a blurb of a story. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for looking out. <laughs> oh dear. What's red one. It's a good question. Cause I don't remember. Huh. Oh yeah. That's right. We're finding out on the red phone. one colon. Chris Evans to star opposite Dwayne Johnson in Amazon's holiday action comedy from director Jake Kasdan. This is on Deadline. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Chris Evans is set to star opposite Dwayne Johnson in an upcoming holiday event film from Amazon Studios. The film, which is currently titled Red One, aims to shoot this year. It's a globe-trotting four-quadrant action-adventure comedy imagining a whole new universe to explore within the holiday genre. Plot specifics are under wraps. Action-adventure-comedy holiday? Is that the four quadrants? It is a globe-trotting, comma, four-quadrant space action-adventure <laughs> space comedy. Wait... <laughs> I don't understand the four quadrants. Neither do I. (laughs) The project stems from an original story by Seven Bucks Productions, president of production. That's obnoxious. Wow. Hiram Garcia, that Amazon Studios landed after a competitive bidding war last year. You know what? There was a competitive bidding war? (laughs) Sure. If they say so. Um, I'm a little rusty on it. It's been a few months since I've regularly been doing it, but the amount of time I spend writing and then editing for the spin tune, mm. I feel physical pain when there's a terrible sentence. And when I see it in deadline is a real publication. Yeah. That, it, uh, they I have really editors frustrated with stuff like that. I really get frustrated when I get an email from somebody that's like, like I am the most amateur editor that exists. Yeah. And I am caused physical pain by some of the sentences that make publication in real publications. And it's like, oh, wow, I, I guess I could get paid to do what I do. I, like, I don't really have a real resume other than, like, just look at what I've done with, like, you, me, and Brian's writing. And yeah. it's like, you, you, it doesn't require much to be better than me at editing <laughs> sentences into a non-painful form. Yeah. Yep. And yet, yet here we are with uh, these and, like professional publications. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. It, it, it grinds my gears as well. I sorry. I sorry. I sorry. But I pulled away for a second. To understand That's why what Anthony was not the editor. Were. It was. <laughs> I sorry. Uh, a four quadrant movie 
In the Hollywood movie industry, a four-quadrant movie is one which appeals to all four major demographic quadrants of the movie-going audience, both male and female, and both over mm-hmm. and under 25s. That's, 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 there's a sentence for you. There's so much wrong with all of that. Throw that under the pile of things I need to edit, I guess. It's men and women under and over the age of 25 make up everything. That's the claim. I mean, listen, they're not wrong, factually. Under 25s. My point is, by whatever definition of age or gender that you choose, you are either a man or a woman, or under 25 or over 25. So you can't be 25. (laughs) Fuck. 99% of people exist in the four quadrants. Is this where the Matrix came about? Oh, is that the four quadrants birthed the Matrix? Because... There is and blah blah blah, blah whatever gibberish. This is the rounding error. Exactly. This is the rounding error. Twenty-five year old people, and only while you're twenty five. You... What if we just uncovered that this was like just an elaborate an elaborate joke <laughs> this whole time? It was an elaborate expression project. of an unresolved anomaly <laughs> that's surrounding error of a undetermined and unrefined. You didn't say vis-a-vis. You gotta say vis-a-vis. No, I'm 100% (laughs) sure the architect never said vis-a-vis. Oh, man. Yeah, wow. Yeah, 25. You don't see movies at 25. (laughs) I can can confirm that's not true. I watched so many movies when I was the year 25. (laughs) When I was the year 25. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, that's... Okay. Cool. Four qu- All right. So, what, well, now with that context, though, it's a globe trotting. Okay. So, red one is clearly like Santa. And is red is red one a red notice prequel? Oh my god, that'd be amazing. No, it's a Netflix gem. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I'm just thinking, it's got the rock. It's it's vague, and it's got red in the name. I assume that the, the military helps Santa in some ways get to where he's going throughout. The Christmas season is I'm pretty sure that was part of the backstory to fat man. Fat man. Do you ever see that? It's a really bad Christmas movie that came out a couple years ago. No. Mel Gibson plays Santa. Oh boy. It's not good. I won't disagree that a it was rowdy, in- unorthodox Santa Claus is fighting to save his declining business. Meanwhile, Billy, a neglected and precocious 12 year old, hires a hitman to kill Santa after receiving a lump of coal in his stock. The hitman's Walton Goggins. Oh my goodness. Um, the military industrial complex hires Santa. I forget exactly what Santa was to provide for them. I think he was building like munitions chips or something like that for the military. Oh my goodness. It's again, it's not a good movie, but there are entertainment entertaining elements to the movie like there is some fun to be had it's really bad though i can't i i'm sorry the trailer's playing i can't i I gotta get out of here this is terrible i I watched it two christmases ago not this christmas the christmas before that sounds like the title of a bad christmas movie (laughs) it is a bad christmas movie (laughs) no i watched this two christmases not this christmas the christmas before (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's definitely on netflix Uh, i got i got i got diane kruger yesterday Bye. King Triton. I 
received a message in a work chat about oh, no. uh, one of a coworker. One of my coworkers got a book called like Extreme Ownership. She sent a picture of it, and first thing now is that is that ownership is that ownership in the Harold and Kumar universe? What? Do you remember Harold and Kumar go to White Castle? Yes. You remember how there was those bros that drink Mountain Dew and everything? Oh, so fucking extreme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. Okay. Extreme yeah, I'll, I'll ownership. Extreme ownership. Yes. I feel like uh, ownership is binary. You either own something or you do not. There is no extreme ownership. Let me see if I can find the uh, what the actual title of the book is real quick. But this is because it was the cover art of the book that was important. I didn't mean to derail you. That's fine. I just. I feel like ownership is a binary state of existence and either you own something or you do not. And there's no such thing as extreme ownership. Extreme ownership, how U S Navy seals lead and win. And <laughs> the, <laughs> there's a trident at the top of the book. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's what, that's all that caught my eye. So I immediately responded with a gif of King Triton, somebody mm-hmm. who I've not thought of in a long time, but was the first thing that came to mind when I saw a trident. Now, to be clear, when you said a King Trident... Triton. Tri- Sir Triton, sorry. Triton, sorry, King Triton has a trident, right? Right. When you say King Trident, Triton, gif, meme, whatever, you're talking about from The Little Mermaid, right? 100%. Okay. Yep. And uh, now, this is cra- what's crazy about this, Diane Kruger, is that it happens in under a minute. Mm-hmm. All right? I have not thought of King Triton for a very long time. Yes. And this popped into my head because I saw the trident. Boom. Made the reference. Move on. Kim and I are watching a television show. We're watching Working Moms. Spoiler alert. That's what I've been consuming. We're watching Working Moms. And in the scene, uh, the main character and her husband are, she's in the bathroom and she's in the shower with all of her clothes on and she's trying to get him to come in too. And they're like, they're trying to do like some sort of dirty talk thing, but it's, it's very bumpy and it's not working well. And then there's a little mermaid reference. And then there's a King Triton reference, and I went, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> and I turned, that's when I turned to Kim, and I said, I just got dying Kruger hard. And Fantastic. And yeah, she understands. She gets it. It's great. It's becoming ubiquitous. I'm, I'm appreciative of this. <laughs> One step We're creating a grassroots movement for It's going to be known in all four quadrants. <laughs> 20 years from now, when this finally comes to Diane Kruger's like attention where like so many more people are aware of her than should be. Mm-hmm. Not should be. That doesn't seem fair. Cause I feel like, like she's not noteworthy. She is. Um, for the wrong reasons. I, people are aware. I'm gonna, of her. Yeah. I'm going to say for unexplainably wrong reasons, people are like, no one reference her. Uh, like, Al, you have yes. cut out. Oh, you're back. I feel like I was there the whole time. No, you're, you're, you didn't record. You blocked out for a bit, for a minute there. That's weird. You're back, though. You're, you're etching. We're good. We're good. There's no reason I shouldn't be. This isn't even my shitty home Wi-Fi. This is my brother's apartment's hardwired. Better. No, I don't package. think it was an internet thing. I think if the mic crapped out or the, the headphone something crapped out for a second. But you're back oh, now, so you're good. That's weird. Anyway, known for the wrong reasons, you were trying to rectify that statement. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I was just saying, like, I feel like she's 20 years from now, she's going to be... <laughs> Like, why do so many people know of me for reasons that I can't explain? That's more what it is. It's like, not just you were Helen of Troy, you were whatever her name was in National Treasure. Like, I feel like she's become more than that because of our show. Mm -hmm. Or at least 20 years from now, she will have become. 
I agree. I mean, she's got to be part owner of our brewery. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. The Diane Kruger effect. We're going to name it Kruger's Lagers. Kruger's Lagers. I'm done with that. There's, we can we'll workshop it, but we'll we'll get we'll get her in there somewhere. I mean, like we're gonna have like this is gonna be shirts with her face on it. It's gonna be a whole thing. And well, <laughs> now with like deep fake technology, we can definitely get pictures of her. Like, I'm picturing like Buddy Christ from yeah. the Kevin Smith like Viewisk universe, but mm-hmm. like it's Diane Kruger and she's got her thumbs up and she's like got a big stein of beer. I like it. Ready, I'm, like, I'm, to I'm slug it go, back. I'm gonna go one step further. Uh, it's a front and back t-shirt style on the front. She's making the one hand motion and on the back, she's making the other hand motion. It's good, but it could be better. But it could be good. Technology is going to afford us some pretty great shirts in the future. Is this going to be like, oh shit, I'm totally forgetting. What is it from? No, they're going to be limited run shirts. Ready? Mm-hmm. And they're basically recreations of the times we've been Krugered with her. So, like, it'll be like Diane Kruger holding a trident. <laughs> like, that's like, you know, we make a hundred shirts <laughs> and then that's it. <laughs> so, uh, we've, we're going to find a way to insert her in every situation in which we've been majorly Krugered. That's right. This could be her, like, acting out, like, a thing from it in some way, shape, or form or something that harkens to it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm in support of this. We can make this work. I'm pretty excited about it. That's all I can think about. <laughs> Do you have more news and nuggets? Or are you good? To oh, on? I have so I have so much. What you got? I think. Um, wait, is that all the news? Oh shit! I think so. Now my tabs are defeating me. Hmm. The only other thing I had was, and I maybe I just missed it when it first came out. But have you seen like the newish Death on the Nile trailers? The new? I think I saw one when I saw um, Spider Man. Okay, so that might be the same one that I saw one like a week ago, and it may have been like a slight variation of one that came out like a three weeks ago or something like that. But that's imminent. That's like two weeks from now or something like that. And I'm excited. We really enjoyed the original um, Murder on the Orient Express. This is is it going to be? Is this a theaters only situation or is it coming out on something? I'm pretty sure it's theaters only, but I I can't say. 100% 100% certain. I definitely don't know who owns that property, so. I tried, tried to type Death of the Nile release date. November 1st, 1937. Clearly, this is not ranked <laughs> by relevance. I was assuming you are you were going to cite something from 1974 or whatever year <laughs> that one was. Oh my goodness. Uh, we'll finally open in theaters on February 11th. Yes. Cool. When can I watch Death on the Nile? February 11th. Thank you. You can definitely watch it on February 11th. I can confirm that. Death on the Nile is being released exclusively in cinemas on February 11th before its release later in the year on Disney+. Plus. That's right. I forgot it was a Disney property. Wait. In the U.S., the film will go to HBO Max? Never mind. And possible... Oh, here's you're going to like this one. Here's a great write-up for you. In the U.S., the film will go to HBO Max and possible either Hulu or Disney+. Plus. No. Nope. Nope. What's I'm worse, not sure that how how, uh, how reputable what's on DisneyPlus.com is. So <laughs> I'll, I'll oh. let that one slide. What's worse, that sentence or the chronology of Amazon tracking I sent you earlier, <laughs> dude? I that was pretty bad, right? Basically, so your your tracking was lost, <laughs> lost 
real lost, still lost, not arriving. <laughs> that's basically the steps of your tracking. I've had one that's like in transit, and then it's like Alabama, Pennsylvania, Maine, Montana, <laughs> New Jersey, Maine. But it was. It wasn't just that. It wasn't just that though, because that all is bad enough, right? But the fact was, and what I was really trying to like highlight to you was that from top to bottom, what it said was Tuesday, January twenty fifth, whatever bit of information it had. Mm-hmm. Then three updates below that under the subheading Monday, January twenty fourth, <laughs> and then under that, a subheading under Wednesday. January 26th. And that's not how chronology works. <laughs> Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday is not how the days of the Somebody fucking week got the go. short order wrong on the notifications, okay? And by the way, I ordered this product on Sunday. And when I ordered it on Amazon, it said, order by, and I don't remember what amount of time, but I was well within that cap. It said, get by tomorrow, Monday, 20th, the 24th. What, it's Wednesday. What? It's 1030 at night. Wednesday, January 26th. You know what I don't have? What I ordered. What um, what am I paying fucking Amazon for? This is something wait, I'm bringing what, on. What is the guarantee for? I'm, like, what, is, what do you get when they fail to meet the guarantee? That's a great question. So here's the thing. This is the reason why I said me and Anthony were talking. I'm bringing on air something we talked about off air earlier this morning. I sent a picture of this to Anthony. It's like, this is not how chronology works. I said, I'm pretty fed up with Amazon. I, I, like, at this point, I don't know what I'm paying for. I guess I'm paying for the Expanse, which doesn't exist anymore. It ended two weeks ago. Mm. Because I'm not getting what I asked for with deliveries. And I was guaranteed with Amazon Prime I was going to get almost everything within two days. I've gotten nothing within two days for, like, a year now. And I'm, you know what? I will give you a blanket pass for the six weeks, like, preceding christmas that's probably too generous for me yeah. but i i'll give you that i expect the holidays for things to not go right yeah. but i ordered my mother's birthday is in august and i ordered her something like a week and a half before her birthday it just flat out never showed up amazing i got a refund like two weeks later because it never showed up but in that time i ordered it it said i was gonna get it within two days <clears throat> Excuse me. at the end of the second day i got an email saying oh it was sent to the wrong facility. It's on its way. Said, oh, you know what? We're all humans. We make mistakes. Okay, it happens. And then two days later, I still didn't have the fucking package. And it told me it was out for delivery, which means it was on a fucking truck in my yeah. fucking town. It wasn't because I called them the next day, which is now the fifth day. I called Amazon and they're like, oh, yeah. It's late. I was like, you know, fucking shit, dude. I didn't get it fucking three days ago when I was supposed to. <laughs> Al's fired up. And fired I was up. like, I was like, what do we do about this? He goes, oh, well, we can refund you. I was like, thank you. He goes, or you can wait another day and we'll get it to you. And I was like, how about both? I was like, I mean, honestly, I feel like I shouldn't have to pay for it at this point. But really what I want is for you to send me the thing that I paid for that you charged me for. Yeah. So if you're going to give it to me the next day, we'll just deal with it and that'll be what it is, okay? He goes, okay, great. Guess what didn't show up 24 hours later? <laughs> it was the thing I ordered. Amazing. And so, like, two days later, I got an email saying that on the first day, it was shipped to the wrong facility and they sent it back to the manufacturer and never had any intention of sending it to me. Wow. 
And then, like a week later, I was refunded for not getting it. <laughs> so this we're, one, go on. Yeah, I was going to say we're all all of us that are still paying for Prime are John Mulaney at the airport. <laughs> we're going to frame you for murder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. So what am I paying for? The one thing that I was supposed to be guaranteed is when I order a thing. You give it yeah. to me in two days. And what's insulting is I ordered it on Sunday, and you said, if you order it within the next four hours, I'm going to get it Monday. That's better than what I expect yeah. out of my paint. I expected to get it in two days. You were going to offer it to me in like 24 to 36 hours. That's fantastic. Hot damn. It's been like 96 hours, and I haven't got it now. And like today, after the weird chronology of what the updates were, it said, expect it today. We're sorry it's late. We just handed it off to UPS, so it's not as late as we expect it to be. UPS didn't give it to me I today either. I, you know what's going to happen? It's it's eventually going to arrive, and you're going to look back at those shipping notifications, and it's going to say arrived, and it's going to be like, you know, next Friday, but the date of the arrival that it says next to Friday is going to be like two days after you order it. Well, it's really Friday, insult- January 21st. What's really, insult- <laughs> what's really insulting is that Amazon built a massive facility like one and a half miles from my house. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like the biggest facility that exists in New York, I'm pretty sure. And it's like one and a half miles from where I live. And I still don't get packages at a even the rate that I'm paying for, let alone a better rate than that. Yeah, you're and too, you're too close. I guess I am. Uh, I see fucking Amazon trucks all day long. Dude. But what's insulting I- to me is like I went on the app and it's like, I'm sorry, we're 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 running behind. We're really sorry we didn't get you a package. Come back here if you don't receive it today. I got that email like at this point now, 12 hours ago, I didn't receive the package and they handed it off to a third party. So I'm going to tell you what's happening here. It's just premeditated. I'm going to wait till I get the package in hand because I really want it because this one was for me. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be probably several strongly worded emails and also calls. I'm going to do everything in my power to get that thing for free because at this point, I feel like I shouldn't have to pay for it. Sure. Sure. They're banking on you not care, not wanting to go through the rigmarole. Oh, they're wrong. They actually don't care. They'll just I'll make like, time. They'll, they'll be like, I, they're like, we don't hear. Take twelve dollars. Like they, uh, I. Well, the the problem is, I feel bad because this is going to end with like some Amazon worker who works one and a half miles from my house getting put into like a dungeon. Like that's what's going to be the result there's, of all there's, of this. There's no. There's not going to be any fallout. I promise. There's, it'll be fun. Oh no! <laughs> no, someone's going to. Someone's going to. No one's going to care. Someone's nipples are going to get twisted or something like that. Someone's yeah. going to be denied a piss break for like 12 hours. I highly doubt it. There's going to be. Well, no, that exists no, already in Amazon. no impact at all from your complaint. No, because someone's going to have to want to do something or something like that. And it's going to be someone's not going to be allowed to piss for 12 hours. I'm going to feel bad about it. But I'm still going to ask for a refund on my fucking <laughs> thing because it's going to have been almost. A week I, I, stand, I stand by you will have no impact on an Amazon employee by making this complaint. <laughs> Yeah, it's possible. They have they have enough money in their slush fund. <laughs> they'll just they'll they'll throw you the twelve dollars. <laughs> they'll be like, oh no! But on. when someone when so no, you, you're reading this all wrong. They're gonna keep the money. They're just gonna take it out on someone. Nah, I don't see it. I don't see it. You know what else? Uh, other other crazy. I think I might have told you this one before, but I ordered. Uh, you can order like you can pre-order video games on Amazon, and supposedly you will get them the day that they. <laughs> are out right and i did that for uh, legend of zelda breath of the wild back when it came out i was like all excited about it because i had 
the Switch like ready to go for pickup at Best Buy, but I wasn't sure about. I wasn't able to pre-order the game for some reason, so I got that on Amazon. It was supposed to arrive the same day. Um, of course, it didn't arrive that day, and I was like, "Well, fuck that!" And I hit. I went in and I canceled it, and I went out and I was able to get it locally somewhere. And then the next day it arrived, and I was like, uh, but I've already canceled this, and you've refunded me. And they were just like, keep it. So I traded that in for another game. <laughs> I told you that something like that happened to me like six years ago with Xbox. Mm. Well, Microsoft, whatever. But yeah, I had that same situation where I pre-ordered a game, and like three days after like the date of the game release, I didn't have the disc. And I called them and I was like, listen, I understand sometimes things go wrong, but like I pre-ordered it. Pre- like, pre-ordered it. <laughs> that means I should be able to play on the day. And listen, I understand how like shipping stuff works. If maybe it shows up at 8 p.m. I don't get to play it until that time. Like, it's fine. But now it's days later and I still don't have it. And they're like, yeah, no, we can't find a record of it in our system. Like, we know that you bought it. We don't have a record that ties it to a physical copy of the disc. And I was like, that's really dumb. I was like, I'd still like my game. (laughs) I I don't really care about the details so much as I would like the game now, please. Thank you. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, but we can't do that because we don't have a tracking number for the disc. And I was like, yeah, no, I understand that. But I'd like the game, please. Money, And so, yeah, no, I was like, "I, I paid it. You've. You've taken the funds from my account. Now I expect a disc. Yeah. And maybe and this, is, this is the flow with my whole plan of like, let me just pre-order the console and you get it to me when you get it. Like, sure. Right. That's they'll, a different they'll never story. Get it to you. They'll take your money and they won't get the console. You'll be like, hey. <laughs> sure. Um, and I was like, mm, I feel like I, I, uh, I asked for a manager. I got the manager. I went full Karen. I was polite. <laughs> I feel like you're telling me there's nothing you can do, and that can't be right. <laughs> yeah, no, and like I was like, I've literally already given you my money. Please give me the disc, and then finally they're like, okay, we're sending you a, a, another one. I was like, send me not, however many you want, not another, <laughs> whatever, because you have no copy of it. Like you have no exit. Like so, like two days later, a disc shows up, and it's like fantastic. And I started playing it, and that was great. And then two days later, the original copy shows up. It's so sketchy. What? And then I called them again and I was like, hey, you guys charged me once. You've sent me two discs. I'm going to probably send that one of those two back to you. And they're like, question mark? No, you don't have to worry about it. And I was like, I feel like I, feel like I should. I feel like you probably want this. Should there be a time in the future where we need a favor? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want to be I don't want to be in hawk to fucking Microsoft Mafia here. Um, and I was like, do you guys want this back? And the person was like, I don't think so. And I was like, okay, I'm, again, I'm going to have to ask for your manager. And this time it's to protect you because I feel like your company is going to want this back. And the person's like, oh, you want a refund? And I was like, no, I bought one. You sent me two and I'm going to give you one of them back. And they're like, oh, cool. Thanks. I'll be refunded your account. Oh my god! <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Is I sent them a disc back, and I paid zero dollars for the two games that I had received that I kept one of. I really wish that this then like led into, and then my Xbox Live account was banned <laughs> for running an illegal copy of a game. 
<laughs> Xbox Live Cal Permaband. <laughs> yep. Oh my god. So ridiculous. Uh, what else you got? What are the nuggies? That's all the news I have. Would you like to go to consumption? I think it's time for that, yeah. What are you uh what are you consuming? So I finally finished The Witcher this week. Hey, so did my parents. Season two. Nice. You wanna do Good a night. very quick quick and brief Witcher watch? Yeah. Quick Can, and dirty. How how yeah, so spoilers for The Witcher season two, but how excited were you? I mean, I hope you were as excited as I was when Jaskier came back. I was very excited. I, uh, I was very concerned he wasn't going to be there after we moved on the season for so long. I know. I Yeah, because what did we make it like three, four or five episodes, something like that? And I was like, wow, they've really he's just gone forever. And I couldn't yeah. remember because I, I feel like I remember them aging him up for his final appearance in season one because like obviously time had passed right in the whole thing and <clears throat> he just shows back up i was like oh there he is it's like is this just gonna be a one-off he's in this one episode and like it very much seems like that's the way it's gonna go in the first episode he's yeah. in and then he shows up like a lot for the rest of the season and i was like oh fantastic Next, like yeah. he always adds that little like he's like kind of the the straw that stirs the drink mm-hmm. it's great i uh i kind of love him playing playing with the spoons and stuff in the jail cell in the jail cell. and like singing to the rats. It was really wonderful. And the, the whole re- the reuniting relationship. Uh, so I would say the whole relationship with the rats specifically though is hilarious. Yeah. He's like named them all. Like he's singing and like attributing to them different parts of the song that. And, and when he finally leaves the cell, I'm pretty sure he like has to say his goodbyes. He does. He yeah. likes like thank you so much for your <laughs> efforts. You were never really that great, but still I appreciate you and all. <laughs> I love I love when he can't he just can't bite his tongue when that when the guy is saying something about his Am mother. I going to say this? I am. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, very it was entertaining. I I it was interesting, like, you know, very different in being like a a very streamlined story this time around. Yeah, it's supposed to last season where they had like the three timeline things, yeah. which I actually I appreciated. I but loved like, it. Yeah. Wasn't something they could repeat in this season. So. No, you it kind of it would it would feel too samey. Like they, there's a novelty there of like it being the like piecing it together the first time you're watching the first season. That's like nice. And well, that, to read not it, just it that. Suck. That's all true, but also on top of that, they collapsed the timelines. So how could they possibly split them back up again? I think I think you could. I think a good writers could could figure it out. I just feel like it would be a mess. Mm, mm. I have faith that they could do it. I, I just I'm glad I have to say that. I really enjoyed it. I thought that a lot of the reunions and recombinations of characters was interesting. I thought some of the new versions of the interactions where you had like Geralt going to meet what's his name? I totally drew a bike on his name. That that mage who's yet a first friend who's oh, yeah, kind yeah. of helping love the <laughs> elves yeah like just like it was just like a weird thing for that level of crossover with only like a tangential reference the fact that like he's friends with tris and Jennifer, mm-hmm. and it's like oh okay we're just gonna have like a team up for like an episode or so with them or tris showing up at Kermorin and she's just hanging out with a bunch of witchers for a while and all that stuff like yeah i thought it was cool to see those sorts of things i really don't remember if there was anything tipping off this whole thing with was it R- R- Redinia or whatever Redinium, whatever the fuck that kingdom was, where they had 
big plots and plans, but also I have no idea where that kingdom is or why it matters. Right. Was it right. De- Dijkstra or whatever the fuck the mage was who was like, who was advising the king who was named like Vizimir, not Vesemir, which why did we have two characters with like the exact same name? <laughs> uh, yeah, that definitely. There are certain naming things that are that I found confusing myself. But what you that one in, was uh, offensive. You sparked the whole scene for me with the freezing of everybody in in time and space and slowly murdering them all. And uh, that, that was, was really hard to watch. That was that was gruesome. Oh, it was tough. I was cringing throughout the scene, but it was pretty great. It was like the first time that I like actually respected Fringilla like as a character because yeah. she mostly just kind of annoyed me for the past season plus. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, no, you've got some things you want to get off your chest here and you want to do. And I respect that, uh, yeah. even though I hate watching what you're doing because yeah. it's pretty oh, the noises. To watch. The noises were terrible. Yeah. Ooh. Also, Fun fact: We discussed last last week. I was like, I have no idea what that guy's name is, and it yep. turns out it's Kahir. Yeah, <laughs> which we find out in like what, like the eighth episode of the second season. No, when he said when she when she said it, I was like, oh yeah, that is his name, isn't it? <laughs> I've definitely heard that one time before. What? <laughs> oh man! But oh, so you enjoyed it though? You enjoyed I did. Yeah, I will say, big twist at the end shouldn't have been as big of a twist as it was because I had intended to rewatch the first season before this season came out. I just ran out of time and I totally forgot what the story behind series parents dying was. And turns out one of them isn't dead. It was, it was a shipwreck or something. I really don't remember. Honestly, Uh, that's the point I'm getting at is I just flat out don't remember. And I'm going to be honest with you. I might be thinking of frozen. No, there is a shipwreck situation. Like, you're <laughs> okay. not totally wrong. Although the frozen thing is an understandable parallel. But I feel like we got some sort of, like, what if it was a dream or a history or a vision that, like, the mother was definitely dead, but the way they said it, so, like, both the parents were dead. Right. And then when Geralt's like, wait, no, 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 hang out. Everyone stop, shut up. How did Nilfgaard know before anyone else could have? Even you. And it's like, I was like, oh my god, this is the most easiest fucking, like, yeah. obvious question in the world. How have I not figured that out? And part of that's because I forgot because the first season came out, like, two years ago! Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I had a similar, I had a similar experience with the reveal. I was like, oh, like, what a cool reveal that's not that big of a reveal, but I'm not paying, I wasn't paying enough attention to this one thing, so it felt like a reveal. <laughs> I was just, as soon as he said it, I was like, oh, duh, idiot, I'm an idiot! And then, yeah. like, they do the whole thing where they're playing it out where like Fringilla and Kahir are walking behind Amir, who we've never seen to this point, and they keep pointedly not showing his face. And it's like, okay, so it's going to be someone we know, mm-hmm. and it's his father. It's her father, and I'm like, oh, isn't he dead? <laughs> <laughs> hey, aren't you a hedgehog? <laughs> also that, um, and um, then the season ends and all, and it was a good twist. I just. I'd feel better and like it was more earned if I remembered what happened in the first season exactly. Like I obviously I remember the big picture stuff, but like that was a little obnoxious to me. It's like ugh, I have just like I was I feel like I was a hundred percent certain he was dead. Not like he's probably dead. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was a hundred percent certain he was in the ground somewhere. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. I uh one of the things I feel like that they they could have dove a little deeper into is like they kept 
I feel like they kept trying to hand wave away the mechanics of like the, the spheres colliding. And I understand that we don't really need to know it too much, but because it's so outlandish, I feel like I need a little more <laughs> about like well, these realms and what happens and the logistics. <laughs> there's two things. There's one, it'd be nice for them to give one to a little bit more detail too. We have inherently unreliable narrators onto that. Like if it's the beginning of the world, Right. No one's going to remember the right. details. But like even even their understanding of it, it seems like they all understand it the very same way. And they're like, yeah, this is like this is how it happened. But like they're not going into enough. They, they just keep like giving us pieces of it <laughs> where I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what, what, what? But also, doesn't that feel convenient? Isn't that clearly mythology? What what spheres <laughs> are we? A sphere? Are we on one? Is this one of the spheres? What are the realms? Why is this monster trying to kill us? How do they come out of the the obelisk? (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Who is this hell lady? (laughs) It's a fair question. It's a a fun watch for sure. I think my favorite episode of the series is still still from the first season with the hunting of the dragon. I think that episode was amazing. Which paid off in a big way in the last two episodes. Ah, So good to bring all those characters back just for for that. Totally. Totally and completely forgot about the dwarves until they showed up and I was like, hey, it's those guys. They're gonna they are gonna help us. <laughs> yeah. There's a solid little team up between Geralt and the dwarves and Yaskier going yeah. to save Syria at the naked time. Love it. Cool. Well, I'm glad you got through it. What else you watch? Me too. Um I finally started watching The Righteous Gemstones, which I mentioned like Oh, month. nice and a half ago and I watched the first two episodes the other day and uh, I think I'm two episodes behind of the current run. Glad to see the second season back. It's a fun show. It's a weird show. It's got very specific things it wants to talk about in sometimes okay. and uh, it sounds like it's inspired by Danny McBride's upbringing. Hmm. I don't know that he was necessarily part of a megachurch per se but like... amazing. It sounds like that whole thing of like growing up in the South in like aggressive version of Christianity is like a whole thing that he needs to unpack and talk about for him <laughs> himself. So that's what the show has been about. You watch part of the first season. Right? Yeah, a few episodes. So it's been good. They added already in the first two episodes, a couple of uh, heavy hitter like guest stars. Eric Roberts plays a friend of John Goodman's patriarch character from like way back who he's kind of tried to forget about. And uh, Eric Andre and I forgot who the actress is who plays his wife play like the Western couple version of what Danny McBride and his wife is supposed to be on the show, like the Texas version of it or whatever. Okay. And they, they make a whole thing like in the, like when the first, the two of them sit down for a meeting, it was like, you guys are the East coast. We're the West coast and we're, gonna split it all up together and they they dragged them into this co-development of like a uh like a beach resort to make a ton of money (laughs) off of it and uh it's a it's a good time so far it's interesting it's fun it's funny it's uh it's dark as all shit that's what the these shows tend to be about yeah yeah the uh i I don't know i'm not sure where i stand on the on the super super dark show i like i feel like i enjoy them for a little bit and then i'm like i get i I rapidly get over it and I'm like want something else more escape sure, than th- something like that. 
this show feels like a show version of Death of Stalin in some ways, where it's mm. like it is really uproariously funny at times, but it's also like kind of serious and sad at other times. So, gotcha. Uh, you said that. Oh, that's a weekly release because you said you're you're a few episodes out. Yeah, I believe that four episodes have been released. I've seen the first two. Gotcha. Are you? Have you still not finished Dexter? That's correct. I still can't get my uh, mom and sister to sit down and watch it together. <sighs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm watching Working Moms. There's five seasons of it on Netflix. We are in the fifth season since we last spoke, and I hadn't started watching it then, so we burned through that pretty good. Very wow. good. Uh, it's really funny. I will say it started off as like a 90-10, like 90% comedy, 10% drama, and then like it rapidly switched and flip-flopped percentages like for the rest of the <laughs> series like maybe like i feel like 10 episodes in or something like that which i was like i kind of miss miss when it was just like laughs for laughs <laughs> but it's it's still good it's entertaining um and there's some there are just some great just like great situations that arise with like these these families and their kids that are just hilarious and and it's also it it it, it veers dark a lot, <laughs> so, but it's a fun show. Oh, that's good. What else are you watching? Consuming. I have. <clears throat> so last night I watched the series premiere of Promised Land, which is an ABC show. It's about a family that owns a vineyard and all the things that go into that. And the people who one of the, the American dream via that, vineyard type of thing it stars john ortiz who is connected to my family mm-hmm. it's my aunt through marriage's sister's husband <laughs> which is enough detail to you're my father's brother's former what is it former roommate it's not what very does that hard make to us it's, it's not very hard. Nothing. <laughs> it's not very hard to do the math on that, um, and I've mentioned him before on the show. So um, he's a cool guy. I've met him uh, a few times. He's uh, seems like a nice enough guy, kind of a quiet guy, but uh, he's nice enough, and uh, I think he's a decent actor. I, I really liked him a lot in Silver Linings Playbook. I thought he did a really yeah. good job in that one. I've seen him in a handful of other things, and Didn't um, they him him at one of the Christmas parties, <laughs> probably. <laughs> That's going to be several years ago, so I don't remember at this point. A lot of people have been hemmed, and it's an honor. So uh, I'm sure he sure. appreciated it. <laughs> Listen, we don't love anyone as much as you, right? So, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, it was um, a network show, you know, where it's on ABC and it's yeah. what you expect from that sort of show. I watched the first episode with my parents. I'll, I'll probably watch a few more and see what it's all about. It wasn't bad. Yeah, per se, it off. But yeah, no, it's just like some of it's a bit cliche, but also like if you like that sort of show, then so far I would say it was pretty solid. So yeah, I, I, I'm good for having one or two of those in the rotation. Like currently, like we're, we're like up to date with this is us weekly and it's, um, yeah, similar idea. Yeah. It's, it's fine. That show, uh, though, you know, however many seasons in, luckily it's the last season because, like, it's gotten to the point where, like, a season ago, it's like, just, just stop, stop opening storylines and, and wrap this up. <laughs> like, where, where, this is run its course. 
Well, I think my my mom had kind of felt similar to that because she loved that show for a long time, and then all of a sudden she's like, "I'm done watching it." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, you don't have to like defend yourself to me if you don't want to watch something, don't watch it anymore." <laughs> and like she was like, "So, oh, thank God!" Like you know, you see commercials on whatever, like especially like playoff football. She's like, "Oh, thank God, it's finally over." And it's like, I'm like, "You don't watch it anymore. Why do you care?" She's like, "Oh, it's just ridiculous at this point." Like. It it just needs to be done, which maybe that's the case. I don't know, but yeah, it's it's the case. It's not fat. I mean, it's it's not terrible. It's just getting it's getting to be a little bit boring with like how like the storylines are like they were interesting the first time around, and like they're I don't know. It's uh they've been teasing at bigger things that are going to happen, and it's just like you can you can get there now and wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're all done here. Well, uh, what else you watching? Um, so I slept through high anxiety the other day. Oh, okay. That doesn't really count. No, I know. <laughs> I, uh, I watched like the first half hour or 40 minutes of the movie and it's not a very long movie. And like, I remember I was like really down to watch the movie. Actually, I was really down to watch a different movie and I had technical difficulties, which I already mm. explained to you off of air. <laughs> so instead I had this rec recorded. It was like, oh yeah, I've always wanted to watch this Mel Brooks movie because I enjoy Mel Brooks movies. Sure. And I was really into the first half hour or so. I was like, yeah, like fuck yeah, let's do it. We're watching the movie. And then I just extremely fell asleep. <laughs> and uh I dozed through half so to two thirds of that movie. <laughs> exactly. And um so I have a note here. Subheading under consuming high anxiety, Kruger effect. Huh. And I don't remember what this was, so I'm going to open this link now. And okay, fantastic. So it's all coming for anyone back. who doesn't, yeah, no, now as soon as I saw the thing. So if anyone who hasn't watched High Anxiety, high anxiety doesn't know, High Anxiety was kind of loosely uh-huh. parodying a selection of Alfred Hitchcock movies. Uh-huh. So here's a tweet that I happened to see the next day after sleeping through high anxiety. The tweet was from Barreled Bonds on Twitter. <laughs> from Mel Brooks's memoir, this joke Hitchcock suggested is fucking hilarious. Wow. I couldn't believe it. Dutifully, I was there every Friday for pointers from the great Alfred Hitchcock, as well as a free lunch. On one of those occasions, he said, I've got a joke for you. Maybe you could use it. And then he told me the following. Quote, Our hero is running from someone who's trying to kill him. He's running full tilt, full speed. The killer is right behind him and closing in. He comes to a dock and sees a ferry. The space between the ferry and the dock is about eight feet. He leaps with all his might and comes crashing to the deck on the ferry. He just makes it, but unfortunately, instead of going out, the ferry is coming in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was really funny, but I could not find a place in the script to use it, parenthetically. And I never told him it was much too expensive to shoot. Close parenthetical. So that was a quote from Mel Brooks in his memoir about, apparently he took some sort of weekly meeting with Hitchcock while making, or in the lead up to making High Anxiety. And Hitchcock pitched him what would be a funny bit to do. I like in it. That's great. A hit a Hitchcockian parody <laughs> movie. And that is a great idea, right? Cause mm-hmm. how many times do you see a movie like that where it's like, I'll jump right to 
something like the Fellowship of the Ring, right? Where they're running away from the ring race to escape Hob- like the, the Shire and they're running and there's a ferry and it's going to cross them across the river and the, the, the Nazgul can't follow them on horse across the river and they're running and Frodo gets separated and he chases and he runs and he leaps onto the ferry that yeah. was pulling away from the dock and that would be hysterical on the inverse where you think yeah. you're leaping to the escaping ferry and actually the ferry is coming in. That is a great bit. It's also like a really interestingly self-aware Jess at like how his his style plays out. Absolutely. Right? Like, like of, and, the, of the chase and the drama and like the tightness and the closing in and then like just to turn it around as a joke and the final in the final segment of that is actually really silly and pretty impressive. <laughs> It is, and it's great because it's funny because I, I think from what I understand of Hitchcock, he was a pretty serious and intense director, but it also feels like from what little bit I know about him, he was able to get the joke and do a bit of a wink and a nod to the mm-hmm. fact that it was like, okay, I did all of these many very memorable movies, maybe some of them not so memorable, but so many mem- memorable movies that relied on big twists and finales and all that, and it's like, Let's turn that on its head because it would be funny to take something that's so heightened and serious and make it totally absurd. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. But so you were enjoying you falling asleep on the movie had nothing to do with the quality of the movie, though. Oh no, it had everything to do with me being totally exhausted, which I didn't think I was. I thought I was ready to go. I was sure. wearing. It was like I was planning on watching Belfast, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, it's an hour and a half. We're turning on at eight o'clock. That'll be easy." And I was watching barely High Anxiety. <laughs> yeah, really. Barely an inconvenience, in fact. Um, I was watching High Anxiety because I had it recorded because I had really wanted to watch it. And I made it through the first, like, 45 minutes of the movie. And then all of a sudden I was waking up and I was like, I feel like I've missed 20 minutes of this movie. And it's because, you know, I had. Yeah. <laughs> and then dozed through the rest of the climax. And so I really have very few memories past, like, a third-ish to a half of this movie. I have to. I'm gonna have to watch that one too. I have the Mel Brooks catalog, but High Anxiety lens in the small group of movies that I own and haven't watched. I figured that was the sort of thing where I know you own the SIP. I didn't know how many of them you've seen. I know you've seen all the big ones. I had always wanted to see this one, even though I've only seen one or two of the Hitchcock movies. Mm-hmm. And I was enjoying the little bits of it. I didn't 100 percent get every reference, although some of it was zeitgeist stuff that I did get, even though I'd never seen the movies. Sure. And just the whole concept is great. I love Mel Brooks. It's got all the big major like Mel Brooks characters you want to see in it. So um, I was enjoying it. I just didn't make it through. I dozed off and I had like four or five like things were just like, I have no idea what was going on. And like sections of the movie that I was like, I'm not entirely sure where that came from exactly. So yeah. I'm going to have to go back and watch. Like, I don't, I won't probably have to rewatch the whole movie and this movie isn't that long on its own. So, huh. but I, I probably have to like fire it up from like half hour in and be like, okay, from here on, let's just re-experience what bits of it I got. And <laughs> right. Try and get the best of it that I can. That's <laughs> funny. Hmm. Let's check it out. Anything else that you're watching or half watching? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's fair. Um, so we had Promised Land, we had Richard Simpsons, we had High Anxiety. Um, how about our weekly full cast update? Sure. Uh, subheading on the weekly full cast update is Arrest That Boat. It's about the Santa Ferry. No, uh, but it is <laughs> about, as I was alluding to earlier with the, um, maritime law. 
Oh, right, right. <laughs> so this week on the full cast... <laughs> well, I wait, wish I could on. find... What was, what was the bit in Arrested Development? It was like a Peter Pan law thing? What was... Well, I don't remember. There was definitely some sort of Peter Pan thing that went on at some point in Arrested Development. But no, the major thing was uh, Henry Winkler kept advocating on behalf of maritime law. And it was something that they did in the flashbacks to when he was a young man. Like, oh, the laws of the sea are entirely different. And they were advising the young um, George and Lucille Bluth, who were played by Seth Rogen and Kristen Wiig, that maritime law would be their answer to all their problems and he advocates on behalf of it again and it's not quite what he thought it was he didn't even realize it was a full branch of its own like legal precedent and it goes back to the whole running joke of i've got the worst fucking attorneys that george always says (laughs) and in the show it ended up resulting into them advocating on behalf of going on the was it mock trial with Jay Reinhold, who was mm-hmm. ju- Judge Reinhold, who decided he just wanted to go by Jay Reinhold, who wasn't actually a judge, even though his name is Judge. Yeah. And that was the whole maritime law thing that they could only have the the court sessions at like three o'clock on a Thursday <laughs> or something like that. Uh, <laughs> it became can't a t- charge a husband and wife for the same. Which was not exactly correct, <laughs> and which inspired one of the many versions of the I have the worst attorney. <laughs> and they did the Judge Judy style show with Jay Reinhold, the mock trial with Jay Reinhold, and they made fun uh, of the judge. no. That was sure the show that the disclaimer. Yes, <laughs> which now they've like made a parody of that parody because Steve Harvey has his own Judge Judy yeah. type show. He's not a judge. Um, and to make fun of that whole like Judge Judy esh like show, and also to make fun of late night talk shows, which kind of what it was is they had William Hung's Hung Jury, the guy from yep. American Idol who sang She Bang. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness. So anyway, maritime law or not quite. This I can't, I couldn't find the story. And I was too lazy to go back and find from today's episode of the full cast or sorry, the shutdown full cast, the original story that Holly was reading from, but I found another version of the story, which will have the pertinent details. And that's that on the Washington post is the story I have here. A cruise line hadn't paid its bills. It diverted people to the Bahamas to evade capture 700 people to be exact or exact for this headlines purpose. And the reason they brought this up was because this proved that there's a legal precedent that an entire boat can be arrested. Oh my god. Not the people <laughs> on the boat. <laughs> the boat itself can be arrested. Boat jail? Yes. And they didn't reference maritime law one time, but it immediately struck my mind <laughs> the whole arrest development maritime law thing. But no, it, it turns out that a boat can be a criminal. A boat can be charged with a crime. A boat can be arrested. And so I'm going to read the very beginning of this because the rest of the story isn't as super important, but here is the beginning of this story. It's a saga worthy of an old-time sea shanty or a future Netflix special. A mighty ship cruising international waters faces arrest over an unpaid debt. But rather than submit to seizure, it changes course for the Caribbean with 700 guests and crew members aboard. Such is the strange tale of the Crystal Symphony. Last week, 
The ship was scheduled to return to Florida from a two-week cruise when a federal judge issued an arrest warrant for the vessel stemming from a lawsuit against Crystal Cruises claiming nearly 4.6 million of unpaid fuel bills. Anticipating that U.S. Marshals would be waiting ashore in Florida, the Crystal Symphony diverted to the Bahamian port of Bimini, 50 miles away. The roughly 300 guests remained aboard the ship an extra day, disembarked in Bimini, and were offered a free ride to Port Everglades in Fort Lauderdale, Florida via ferry. Oh my god. A journey the company later acknowledged was, quote, uncomfortable due to inclement weather, unquote. Technically, <laughs> one Crystal Symphony passenger described getting up during the two-hour ferry ride to throw up, only to find, quote, nine or ten, unquote, other seasick passengers doing the same. But this is ridiculous. Quote, the end to the cruise was not the conclusion to our guest's vacation we originally planned for, unquote. A Crystal spokeswoman <laughs> said in a statement. <laughs> oh my goodness. The blurb, so, I, I, I searched, a boat can be arrested. Yes. Uh, it was a great blurb that, uh, according to maritime law, a boat can be held responsible for unpaid bills or wages or any damages it causes in accidents. If someone if someone makes a claim against the boat, local authorities can, and this is my favorite part, in quotes, arrest it. <laughs> <laughs> Order to pay up. <laughs> that, so that was the point they were making is that there was literally U.S. Marshals deployed to multiple ports in Florida to wait to arrest and detain a the boat. boat. The, the boat. structure itself, the boat, not the captain. What are they? Do? Not the employees. I'm like a, like a, a cartoonish like net on a giant stick. <laughs> we got him. <laughs> to capture. I'm picturing instead of. Them using the ropes to tie up a boat to a, a dock. <laughs> Make sure them throwing handcuffs. Yeah. To link it to the problem is this is one of those mega. This is one of those mega fucking cruise ships that's like the size of an aircraft carrier. Amazing. And so, like the story that Holly was reading from on the shutdown forecast was way funnier than the one I've been reading from mm-hmm. because the specific language they they deployed to continue to reiterate that it. They were planning to arrest the oh, boat whoa. as if it was <laughs> a sentient being, not just the structure that was floating across the ocean, housing so many people on it. <laughs> and these people were essentially held against their will because, and it was a detail I didn't see in this story, but they referenced in that story that they're reading. In order to avoid the full-blown detaining of the ship, they rerouted against the guests will that they were going to change the trajectory of the boat to land in a place that was friendly to the CEO of the company. So these people were essentially kidnapped in lieu of having the boat arrested. Is the boat also going to be charged with kidnapping now? I Not that I'm aware of, they but that's... Re- it did release that, the hostages. <laughs> that was the gist. Yeah, no, the hostages have, have been confirmed to have been released. Uh, here is a, a quote from... released? Yes, um, this is a quote from later <laughs> in the article. Is there an umlaut above that? <laughs> Powering through my inability to speak the English language correctly. Quote, <laughs> who's ever heard of a ship being arrested? Oh my God. <laughs> this is from Elio Pace, a musician who was contracted to perform aboard the Crystal Symphony for the next month. It's like 
Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean. I almost said Pirates of the Caribbean. It's it. like Pirates of the Caribbean. They say, we're going to seize the ship. And the ship goes, no, you're not. <laughs> it turns around. <laughs> the ship goes, fuck you are. <laughs> oh, man. Absurd. Um, there were other things in this episode of the Shutdown of Cast, namely whether or not Jason Statham or The Rock are better actors. Mm. And also, that spawned a conversation that resulted in what would it look like to replace George Clooney with The Rock in his many roles? Okay, okay. You gotta, you gotta hear the Ocean's to... movies. I could do, I could deal that, deal with that. The funny thing is that wasn't even any of the ones that they referenced. Oh. Um, I also got Diane Kruger by the Peacemaker, uh, which was the movie that we t- brought up the other, the other week with George Clooney and Nicole Kidman. Oh, I thought you were talking it's about just, the HBO show. No, I forgot no, about that conversation. No, uh, it's on Paramount Plus, which is a service oh, that I still have for some reason. Um, but yeah, I was like, huh. But now I'm picturing The Rock in that movie. <laughs> the funniest rabbit hole involving The Rock and George Clooney was if The Rock had replaced George Clooney for Batman and Robin, mm. and it was referenced as <laughs> that he would have probably had even bigger nipples on his suit. Sure. <laughs> That's right. And also just watching The Rock and Arnold Schwarzenegger going toe-to-toe with one-liners in that terrible movie. But is it The Rock today or The Rock from years ago? I think whichever rock you prefer. Okay. I prefer modern rock. I like Modern Rock, too. Yeah. I think there's also a Fraggle Rock reboot happening. Oh, I was going more for like... Different a, rock. Yeah, I was going for more like actual rock music, like modern oh, gotcha. versions of it. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Cool. Cool. But who is better, Jason Statham or The Rock? I, I like... I think I like The Rock better. So Spencer Hall was advocating on behalf of Jason Statham having more range than The Rock and the rest of them Does were he? laughing at him for that. Yeah. Well, that, I, I guess you'd have to listen to that segment and be the judge based on the, the roles that they were advocating on behalf of. Yeah. I've only ever seen Jason Statham in the one role. Well, that was the, that was the point that the opposition was making was that The Rock is great at playing The Rock, and that Jason Statham was great at playing Jason Statham. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I guess I haven't seen much. Well, the thing is, you could put The Rock's character in many different situations, though, and it still yes. it still works, but you could only put Jason Statham's character in that one role. I feel um, like. I don't know. I, I think they, they made a lot of good points as to the fact that they're both bald action stars who are really good at who wear, who wear sweaters that I can't pull off. <laughs> yeah, and they're great at playing versions of themselves in which they you know, are just being The Rock or Jason Statham and that those characters are pretty similar to each other. Um, the I think the strongest the, the two main tenets behind which Spencer was advocating on behalf of Jason Statham was the Guy Ritchie movies prior to Statham being a mainstream success in mm. the U.S., like specifically Lockstock and Snatch, mm-hmm. and also his work in Spy, the Melissa McCarthy movie. I don't know if I saw that. I might. I think I, maybe I did see that. that movie. Is really weird. I really didn't want to see it, and then it was on TV one day, and I was like, "All right, fine, I'll give it a shot." And 
the first like 20 minutes or so I was like, Oh God, this is one of those terrible parody movies where they're just cramming shit in every five seconds. That's like referential and stupid and not actually that funny, but it's trying to be funny. And then from then on, it became like satirical Mm. and I ended up really enjoying everything past that point, but I almost bailed on that movie right before it got good. I feel like, no, it's possible. No, you know what? I did see this movie. I remember that exact scene. Okay. Cool. Say so it's it's pretty good cast: Melissa McCarthy, Jason yeah. Statham, Rose Byrne, Jude Law. Word. Cool. Any any other nuggets from the full cast? No, I think that's probably all the uh, important stuff. It was a good episode, though. Oh, uh, we're running a bit long today. Do you want to do fun and games? I have a movie ready to go. So oh, let's make it happen. Uh, was this movie... <laughs> I'm going right in. Was it re- uh, released before the year 2000? No. Okay. Before... Wait, hang on one second, though, because I forgot to bring it up on IMDb, so... Uh-huh. Uh, was this movie yes, released go. before 2010? Yes. Okay. Alright. Uh, is it a comedy? Um, no. Is it an ensemble movie? No. It's a part of a series. Yes. Okay. Uh, is it? Uh, is it an action movie? Yes. Okay. That's five. Action. Found. Um. Not an ensemble. Is it a sci-fi movie? No. Okay. Thousands action. Um. Part of a series. Is. Is it the? Mm, it's not that helpful right now. Um, is this a superhero movie? No. Okay. Action. Non-ensemble. Part of a series. Is it based on... Um, how, do we, how do you normally phrase this one? <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm trying to ask, right? How do you normally phrase it? I'm not going to ask it just yet. Like, licensed um, property? Is it based on IP? IP. Is it based on IP? No. Oh, cool. Uh, is the series still ongoing? No. Action 2000 series that is over, um, not based on IP, not a superhero movie, not a sci-fi. Uh, does it take place, uh, in, like, modern times? It's contemporary to when it was released. Okay. That's ten. Um, superhero movie. Is it a? Is it dark? That's an interesting question. Neither of us ever asked something like that before. I'm gonna say yeah, yeah. Okay. Hmm. I really feel like I have nothing. I have no. Not, That's not. <laughs> I've got a dark action movie, part of a series from the 2000 aughts. Uh, contemporary. Um, does the well not an ensemble? I'm a superhero movie. Is the movie rated R? Uh, yes. Not based on IP. Um, the series is not ongoing. I was like, are we doing Mission Impossible? God damn it! <laughs> um, action, action movie, temporary, non sci-fi. I'm, I'm. Uh, you're only 12 guesses or questions in, so you still have 
yeah. to play here. I'm kind of, I'm so, I'm so curious. Uh, is it? Mm, I don't want to know. I want to like. I'm, I'm so curious about like where this movie is in its series, and then I feel like I, I really need to wait to see if I can figure out what what series it is that I'm worried about first. <laughs> but I don't know how to narrow it down. Uh, action, <sighs> dark, rated R. Is it starring um, a major action star? Yes. Huh. Who do we got here? Who can we? <clears throat> Major action star. So we're talking like it's probably it's like a legit action. Uh, did is this worth it? I'm debating whether or not it's worth asking if the if if the star is a member of the Expendables. <laughs> I'm not sure if that helps or hurts me because I'll probably end up like forgetting somebody. <laughs> um, it's an understandable track of like thought to go, but also as you've alluded to, there's like. 20 people that that could be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, not superhero. Based on IP. Action 2000. Um, dark. Not a superhero. Uh, am, mm, I don't feel, am I particularly fond of this movie? I'm going to strike that question from the record because I can neither confirm nor deny. Hmm. Interesting. Al's not certain I've seen it. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to taint the jury pool. I'm yeah. not a hundred percent sure whether you've seen it or not. I'm hundred. I'm not a hundred percent sure if you had seen it, whether you liked it or not. You got it. Oh boy, um, this is really blowing my mind. Actions, action movie with a big action hero. Uh, is it an? Has mm, has this action hero been making uh, movies for a, for a good amount of time before this movie came out? Can you define that more clearly? Mm. I don't know how to. I feel like I would have to narrow, like, create the pool and be like, "Is it in this group of action people?" Uh, well, I, I just for some people, significant would be five years. For some, would be ten years. For some, would be twenty years. For some, would be thirty years. Like, I I don't know. Wait a minute. Like you, you'd have to just give me a more yeah, specific yeah. No, version of that you. question. Um, was this action star making movies in the 80s? No. Huh. Not based. Not sure if I've seen it. We're not sure if I like it. If I'm particularly fond of it. Oh, I, I, will, I, will, I will clarify in this way. I'm guessing you've probably seen it at least once, but I don't want to Unlike yeah. the last time we did this, I don't want to bet money on this for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, are there more than two movies in the series? No, I don't think so. Okay, that's fifteen. So we've got a dark action two thousands movie, um, rated R. Not um, okay. I finally have a, I, I finally have one idea that I think fits the picture. I want to see if I can get any more that I can <laughs> I can rope into this <laughs> before I start trying to narrow it down. Because if I uh, ugh, ugh, this danger is fifteen, I'm at fifteen. Yes, oh, that's bloody. always the danger, right? Is when you get an idea and if it's not the right one, you like limit yourself to that rabbit yeah. hole. Yeah, like, oh, I'm totally fucked. I'm trying to think two parters. Um, it still fits that eighties. I think it's still fit that. Well, it said it's a big action star, right? So I feel like that's how I phrased it. 
I would say so, yes. Shit. Alright. I feel like that's... Damn. <laughs> that takes out the one that, the series that I was considering. Um, oh my goodness. Is this a... Uh, I, don't know, hopefully, I don't know if you can answer this. Was this a well-received movie, like, critically? Um, well, how about this? I have the IMDb rating in front of me. Okay. You tell me what the threshold out of 10 would be considered well-received. Um, like whatever number and above would be well received. Sure. Now, on the IMDb rating, I guess. And, and I'll tell you, they give you to the 10th of a decimal point. Mm. I guess above a seven and a half. Then this would not be qualified as well received. Okay. That's 16. Um, two parter, two parter, dark. Um, I get an action, an action. No, it's not sci-fi. It's contemporary. Um, shit. Big action star. Now I'm now I'm going into the realm of movies that have like way way more than two. It's always a problem when you get to this point where you're flailing. That's that's always what happens. Why we need like more people. I feel like to do it, like to bounce ideas off of. To the point when you're like flailing is where it's like you start getting down to that like rabbit hole of there's there's so many options or there's not enough options and it's. You start second guessing yourself, and it's like now, like now, I'm like really trying to think of of movies that have two. Like, there's two. I was like, I then I was like, ah, I was like, what was that? What was that Vin Diesel thing? There were two of them, and then it was. Uh, I was like, that's all sci-fi. The pitch black, and <laughs> that's clear. That's that's not contemporary. Um, not a com- also no no. We said not a superhero, not based on IP. <laughs> Action star, not making movies in the eighties, two thousands. Jason Statham in this movie. <laughs> he is. Oh my god! <laughs> this is uh, the first time I've given you one informed by something we've talked about cool. on the show. So that's seventeen. Is this the first movie in the series? Yes. Okay. I'm having a really hard time remembering how many transporter movies there are. <laughs> Because <laughs> I feel like all of the movies are the transporter. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Is Jason Statham transporting things in this movie <laughs> as the core concept of the movie? <laughs> no. Is there a second crank so think, movie? Well, I I can't answer any more questions uh, because I think you're down to just you have a guess. Am I? I thought I had. I thought I had at least one more. Well. Uh, well, he's not transporting things. No, Satham was your 18th, and then okay, transporting was your 19th. Right, is so it crank? Down to a guess. It is crank. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were gonna get it so much earlier than that. I just, I honestly, like in the beginning when we said action, I was just like, it's not gonna be the rock or Jason Satham. <laughs> Fair, but when you when you played. eliminated the. When you eliminated the 80s action stars, though, and had it limited down to 2000s and it had to be a two-parter, I thought for sure you were going to get cranked within, like, five guesses from that. I, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, at that time, those movies had crossed my mind, and I was like, surely there's at least four Transporter movies. <laughs> and, then, and to be fair, there's three Transporters. And, okay. um, and that's why I was like, I can't like tip off yeah, whether yeah. that's what that is there or not. And to be fair as well, 
uh, Death Race has at least one sequel. I'm not sure if it has two sequels, so it could have. Oh, I would have. I would have never. I would have not in a million years would I have come up with the Death Race. Oh, solid movie. The first one, yeah, bad but very entertaining. I think I have Crank. I'm pretty sure. Crank's of Chester Bennington is in Crank in one scene. Is he really? Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen the whole movie. I unashamedly enjoy Crank. I won't say that like Crank is good, but it's unquestionably enjoyable, like entertaining yeah. movie. It's a, it, it, yeah, I, that's how I remember it. Not a yeah. good, not a good movie, but but definitely watchable. for sure entertaining. And yeah. and in, in the same vein, I would say Death Race is entertaining. I, I would say Crank is a quote unquote better movie okay. than Death Race, but both of them entertaining of def, definitely of that time. I feel like my Crank copy is a bootleg. I mean, I, I feel like. I feel like I'd be upset if it wasn't a bootleg. Right? I mean, it's starts with a C, so it's gotta be up here. So. To be fair, I've never seen Crank 2. I've, oh, sorry, Crank High Voltage. Is that what it's called? Absolutely. Crank! Oh, yeah. We got here. Oh, no. You know what this is? Hang on. Pretty excited about this. I'm not even sure if you can hear me. Widescreen. I, I can hear you. Alright, good. No, this is a. Uh, this is a blockbuster bin movie. Remember those bins that yes. had like all the movies in here are thirty cents. <laughs> that's <laughs> it's a good deal. Try to turn that up. That's pretty much. That's, I have a lot of movies from that bin. <laughs> awesome. That's the least surprising thing I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> with I think with that, it's time for our flick of the week. Eternals, released in 2021, rated PG-13 with a two-hour and 36-minute runtime. The saga of the Eternals, a race of immortal beings who lived on Earth and shaped its history and civilizations. That's that's the IMDb synopsis. If you say so. That's like a phrase. That's just not, it's not really like a full, uh, and Al, um, if you say so is right. What uh, What's your hot take? It's fine. It wants to have fun sometimes. It wants to be really serious sometimes. It can't quite figure out how and when and why, though. Six out of ten. Okay, okay. Eternals is like a course you need to take to get your degree. It's only offered once every four years. It's time-sensitive, and no one really seems to be interested in being there. (laughs) It's the MCU's Justice League. Five out of ten. I, I won't go that far. It's competently made. Is it? Yes. Like, by the most fundamental aspects of, like, direction. Okay, and it's a cohesive... It is a it is a story from start to finish that is pieced together yes. and has some points to make. But ultimately... Yes, that's my point. It, not, it, none of it well, right. but, like, competent. Fully yes. lacking the MCU heart, though. Like, does not feel yes. like an MCU movie. It's probably... it's. I mean, is it the worst MCU movie? No, but, no, because like as as to your point about it lacking the heart of the MCU, like it has it in moments, sure. But like as far as an overarching, like cohesive, like picture in that perspective, mm-hmm. no. Uh, but it, from the technical perspective, it gets it checks all of the boxes of there's a start and a finish and an end to the movie. the The story is told adequately from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I will say. There are some scenes that are really kind of like gorgeously like shot or at least like set up where it's like this is too competent for what you're giving us overall. Yeah. Um, like in like in, I'm more talking about like little moments than like the big picture things where it's like 
a scene with like two or three characters and they're having like a character moment. And it's like, Oh wow, this is too good for this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that it doesn't tie to other things that goes on. There's a lot, there is, there's a lot of like those little moments because there's these pockets of good. Uh, that I actually think the, the actors are very competent. I think they're, they're doing a great job. They just don't, I don't think they have great material to work with. Like there's like those little moments of relationships within the storyline that I thought were, were yeah. actually pretty strong. But then they're like, like, Oh, like, we should probably dive deeper into there. There's an interesting story like Sprite, for example, right? The whole concept of like this character is eternally in the shape and form factor of a child. Like, and what that deal does with to the her fact, mentally yeah. is like awesome. Like, and then like, De- yeah, I'm a and real it's boy like something at the end of the movie when when, when they give her <laughs> what's something that's almost entirely sidelined until the very end of the yeah. movie. Yeah, and like, like basically like when we get to the final third and there's like climactic division among the group. And it's like, well, why are you being that way? And it's like, because I'm a spoiled child who's also 8,000 years old and has the maturity to go along with it. And it's like, okay, fair enough. Yeah. But like, I wish you had kind of done more than just hinted that vaguely and obliquely for the last two hours. Right. Right. Um, this, this is a movie that I feel like the actors were all really well cast for the roles they were playing. And it's a movie that has a really talented director because like Chloe Zhao won an Oscar like two years ago. Yeah. But this is a movie that's way less than the sum of its parts. Yeah. I I think ultimately like we're talking about a property that I am not even remotely familiar with. Yeah. Which like, if you want to draw a parallel, like guardians of the galaxy was incredibly well cast and incredibly well written, incredibly well directed and had a ton of heart. And this movie is another ensemble that none of us has any attachment to as casual fans. And it's not super well directed, not super well written and vaguely well cast and performed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it, it's just really clunky. Like I'm, I'm watching the movie. I want to be invested. I, I'm fine yeah. with it. I did not off at one point and rewind it. And I was like, huh, that doesn't happen to me often. What, That's kind of what, what happened to me, too. <laughs> when I was watching it, I dozed off about a third of the way through this movie. And the thing is, I remember that I was not 100% conscious, but I also never went totally out because I rewatched that scene, like the sequence that I was mm-hmm. concerned with today, like an hour or so before we started recording. And I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely saw these things and retained almost none of it. Right, <laughs> because like enough of like what happened right after what I could remember, I was like, yeah, no, I remember all these things, and I remember sure. when I was watching it, this kind of making sense, but I retained none of what led to it, and so like that means I have no memory of watching that. Yeah, and what's funny was I actually went back even slightly a bit before that point, and it was when not far enough to even remember the full context of the scene, but there was some ancient war. I don't it sounded like it was in Babylon or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what was going on and why it was happening. Yeah. Um, but I rewatched almost that whole scene right after when Angelina Jolie's character first loses her memory and goes berserk. Yeah. That's a really good scene. And all the actors are really good in it. Mm-hmm. And it's real. It's well-written and well-directed. And it's like, fuck, if that was the whole movie was that this would be like a nine. Yeah. But it's, and not. it's not that it's not. Yeah, it's like, I- Oh, right here is where you see, Oh, this is an, an Oscar winning director directing multiple Oscar winning or Emmy winning or nominated actors and actresses with good 
script is like, oh, this is a really good fucking scene about the family dynamics of these superpowered people who are trying to fit into the world they don't quite understand with a mission that they don't understand. And I can understand how that would make them a little fucked in the head. Mm-hmm. Certainly they've been doing this for thousands of years and they're grappling with whether they've been lied to or not lied to and who they've been lied to. Is it by their handler or by the person who runs their handler? What's going on here? There, it's such a fraught scene, which can be so good, and it's emotional, dramatic, and Angelina Jolie <laughs> is giving a, an 11 out of 10 performance in that scene for no reason. There's no justifiable reason for her to be that good in that scene. She is, and I'm like, oh, you have a movie here, and you just chose not to do the rest <laughs> of the movie with that. <laughs> can we go Can we go back? Can we do that again? Can we just do that scene again? <laughs> yeah, there's. it's funny, because like, there's a lot of, there are, and like that, yeah, that's all of them together. That's a big relationship moment. It's great. And any of the other relationship moments and like deeper dives into the characters and their and what they must be going through is interesting, right? Like we talked about Sprite for a minute. Uh, like you, you, you talk about like Icarus, who like when you understand that he he actually knows the plan, like later on, and like what that must be doing to him mentally, like the gymnastic that he's running through. Like he's in love with one of these characters. He knows that they don't know. He knows that they're gonna have their memories wiped eventually. Like there's so much darkness in that. Yeah, but even he doesn't sh- have, even he doesn't have it all in that scene though, because that's well before. Yeah. Um. The what was her name? Ajax. I, I, Ajax. Yeah, I totally forgot all <laughs> their that, names. Isn't that a cleaning supply? Sorry, I I totally remember. <laughs> Ajax, yes. I totally forgot half of the characters' names yeah. in this movie. Um, he doesn't even know that at this point, right? But you in this in this scene I'm talking about, where they're inside of this like ziggurat, I think it is, right? Like the Babylonian pyramid type yeah. of thing. Well, there's a war going on below them. I forget what tipped off Angelina Jolie to start attacking her own people in that. It's, they introduce the whole idea of because they've been around for so long and have such these long memories that it eventually corrupts her memory. Yeah. She, sometimes she forgets who she is. And I mean, like, why just, it just like was a breaking point, I feel like, right? It just happened. I couldn't remember if there was a specific trigger or not. I know that when I first watched it, it kind of vaguely made sense and I don't yeah. remember now because I didn't rewind far enough back in that point. I just didn't care. I remember the gist of the scene and that's all you really need for that mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, I There's in that scene you have a big performance for her and you have a big performance for the Barry Gojan character. I don't know how to pronounce that last name. I've never known how to pronounce that last name. Um, And his name is not the first time I've seen that last name either. I've seen that in something else. We were soldiers. One of the the guys is named that same last name. I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Um, He has a, a pretty good performance in that and a big character moment. Icarus has a pretty big character moment in that, moment like we won't know until later on but it's like a pretty big deal for for him gilgamesh has a big character moment in that sprite has a pretty big character moment um kingo has a pretty big both like acting and character moment even though he only has a couple of lines in that scene basically all of them are given an opportunity to do something pretty big there whether it be from a character perspective or a performance perspective or both it's such a good scene Mm. It's the it's like the only scene that's like it's not the only one. There's a couple of little other snippets, but it's the only like big like drawn out scene where it's like, oh, this is like I can get where like behind where, let's do this big ensemble movie about these people who we want to try and make relatable, even though every bit of their experience on life is basically unrelatable to the average person. Right, right, yeah. So it's 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 funky. I don't know how like 
I don't know necessarily know what they can do to correct because like it, I guess a a large chunk of it would have to be rewritten, right? Because it's like no, this the, is a TV show. The movie, well, or that that yeah, like, this would definitely play better as one of the, one of the Disney Plus gems. Because that's sure. the biggest issue with this. Because you could basically have, considering how big the ensemble is, you could have an episode devoted. You could do it almost like the Book of Boba Fett, but instead of flashback and main story for two people, it's each episode is you advance slightly the main storyline, and each one you have a background like flashback to some. Because that's what they do in this movie. Yeah. To or each you, do, other characters. you do a novel style where, yeah, like it's from the perspective of one of the Eternals and you do one episode each and then a final episode that is all of them. Sure, because like each time that the current day story advances slightly, they pause for a flashback of five to 20 minutes. Yeah. For each character, like a, like a scene that, that shows and reflects on either the performance or the character moment of each character in the past across different timelines more or less chronologically i suppose and mm. all of those things are important but as like a as like one cohesive sum it's totally disjointed like each none of those things is irrelevant to what's going on you you, you can't really fully understand the dynamic of this group without those things but the way it's delivered is totally asinine and disjointed yeah there is a lot it's I feel like ultimately, like the like the the action sequences that end up getting thrown in there break up the movie in a bad way, where it's like okay, a fight now because we have to do an action sequence, but like we, there's still there's a lot to unpack with all of these characters and all these storylines. Like this is almost wasting my time because I need to I'm gonna need to know more, and you've only got so many minutes left of this film. But I do think it could play out better as a, as one of the Disney Plus jams. I, uh, well, that's the other problem, right? Right, is like for each time you have a, this is where the current timeline storyline is going, and then here we go to a flashback to reveal character or performance, and then we're going to come back to present time and have a fight scene. Yeah, like that formula is reiterated multiple times throughout the course of the movie, and it's mm-hmm. like this feels like a, I'm on like a jerky, like theme park ride. Yeah, yeah, because if you did, if you did a a series you can do a full episode of the band breaking up followed by the flashback e like maybe hints of something in the past while telling the character's current state of affairs and roping them into being like reintroduced to somebody from their past one of these other eternals that they haven't seen for a long time right and then in each episode that group is just getting bigger and bigger as like the story is unfolding and you're understanding where it's where it's all going and now they're all together and then we we play out the finale of them all being uh grouped up again i was i was really curious like i didn't understand fully what certain people's powers were yeah there's some of that in this movie um and now going going back to it what is I forget what Cersei can do. Doesn't she like manipulate the earth? Is that what it is? She like can terraform things. Like what? I think so because I think I think so because if I remember, like the end of like this is literally like the last part of the scene I was watching just because I was like I'd gotten to the point where I needed to see when they're on the plane and she's talking to it's at this point it's her Icarus and Sprite and they've recruited Kingo and his valet and. He's great, doing the documentary. Great character, the valet, by the way. Maybe my yes, favorite character in the I, whole movie. <laughs> I enjoyed him too. Um, 
And she keeps bringing back like, oh, I once turned like a rock into air. And then like, I also did this thing with a rock. And then I also do, and he goes, okay, maybe like think about the answers before we commit this to the documentary. <laughs> and so like, and that's what she does, right? She keeps like building and forming and reforming and changing the nature of different. Like, I think she, she's basically like the avatar, the air, the last airbender style, like earthbender, like where she can just control she can manipulate matter yeah but like specifically like the earth it seems like yes okay okay and then icarus is superman basically super strength and can fly Flight. and also laser eyes laser eyes maybe maybe he doesn't have cooling breath maybe that's where they draw the line i think yeah probably midway through writing of like a superman character like more than just leaping over tall buildings he can fly laser eyes but not like necessarily x-ray vision Sure. Super strong, but not necessarily super fast. And kryptonite doesn't make him weak, because fuck that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Thena, she can make weapons out of nothing? Yeah, super strong and fast, and she seems to be able to manifest weapons from, okay. like, some sort of ethereal power, yeah. Ajax can heal people. Thing. Honestly, God, I have no idea, but yeah, that sounds right. Right, because then I remember like the the, the creature well, thing, when the, like yeah, when the deviant absorbs her, it's, yeah. yeah, it gets the regenerated power. So I think so. Yeah, Kingo can shoot finger guns, <laughs> laser finger guns, laser yes. finger guns. Okay, also super super jacked. The steroids will do that. Right, Sprite is kind of like a Loki illusionist. Yes, could create gem. copies or whatever. Right, yeah. Fastos is just like super tech guy. Like which one was that? Uh Brian Tyree Henry. Oh, yes. He's like he's like he like no uh, yeah, like he's like very mechanical. I like guess like like almost like a almost like a bio what was that what what's that like <laughs> that uh, Mass Effect arm thing? <laughs> Where the tech of the Oh the Omni Blade thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Omni tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 he was like could cr- like create design and influence like technology yeah i guess so. okay now bakari was super speed and yes and the flash she's she's deaf deaf flash deaf but like it played into like almost a um it sounds like almost like a daredevil like awareness from vibrations but instead of yes being, like, that was the whole point thing. of that right yeah okay druig can manipulate people's minds. Yes. And he stopped just everybody stopped fighting. And everybody stopped fighting. He's the one that I'm most interested in. How far is your range? <laughs> a good question. <laughs> Line of sight? Right. I yeah, I don't know. Um, he did seem to have like a stop on the entire war. I can't imagine he was able to see everybody. Gilgamesh, super strong. I guess so. Yeah. Did he ever show another power? No. Thinking? He he pulled a uh, a cast iron pan out of a fire and held it without noticing, and then promptly dumped and then the dumped his pie. Blueberry pie. Uh, and that's it. That's all of them, right? I think so. Hopefully. Yeah, that seems like everybody. Um, I think I went through the whole list. Okay, so there a number of of, of interesting ish powers um it's it's always funny you can't you can't do the superman like character when there's other people that have other powers it's just like it makes all of their stuff seem silly and 
Like, it doesn't make sense that he loses a fight. Well, I think ultimately he's not, he shouldn't be allowed to shoot laser eyes because Kingo gets to shoot lasers out of his hands. Yeah. And if, if, if Icarus can fly and be crazy strong, he shouldn't get laser eyes as well. Yeah. Like it, it almost seems that Icarus is, has everybody else's power, but, but he doesn't though, cause he can't do some of the things. So like, then I was like, okay, so what is the, what, what is your deal? He's the strongest <laughs> of all of us, but, but, but why? Like, why does he have... And I understand that they're machines, but, like, why? <laughs> why not make them all Icarai? <laughs> I don't understand. Also, Icarus flew into the sun at the end well, of the movie, and would... I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a bit of double entendre, I suppose. <laughs> he, definitely flew too clo- he definitely flew too close to the sun. Um, Kid Harrington. Jon Snow also in this movie, alongside his brother. Two scenes. Um, yeah, that was very confusing. I was like, oh, interesting. Big name. Okay, what are we doing here? Nothing? Got it. Setting up for future installments of the MCU. I, I see. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Which uh, has to be probably the most overt version of that for a character that's being freshly introduced. Like, yeah. you could probably argue like some close ties with characters that already exist and were like, reincorporated. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a little strange. Um, what else do I have here? Oh, and the only other real thing of note that I have, like, so the the twist. Okay, so what is the big what is the big bad entity thing's name? Which one? The, the one that was technically their boss. Yeah, Arishem. Arishem. I don't know anything about Arishem. Arishem is a celestial. Is a yes. Bigger than okay. So the celestial being in the core of the planet goes all the way back to Guardians 2, right? Where Ego is planting seeds. Yes. Okay. All right, cool. So I got we got I got got that much. Uh I was really not a fan of the whole hand wave about why they didn't get involved with Thanos and Endgame. I was like, I know you kind of have to do that at this point when you're introducing characters for the first time in a post-endgame world, but they're just like, uh why why weren't you here? We were told that we couldn't be. And that's enough. <laughs> that's- I mean, fair enough, right? And now I've got questions about the snap. Did it also eliminate half of the Celestial? Probably not. No. I mean, they're essentially gods to whatever extent. But are they So are they not life in the universe? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, like, they, if anyone was going to have the power to supersede that, it'd be them. I would assume so. No. Uh... There is something really cool about like the whole menacing Ashram thing. Like he like this giant being that is so large and like bigger than everything and like it, taking up so much space in the universe when he's talking to Ajax. I'm like, this is very intimidating to watch. <laughs> and uh how are we gonna beat this? <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> also, how is the celestial gonna come out of the inside of the earth if it's that big? Does it it's it start growing now? Is eat, it's going to eat the earth and then become that big? No, I think they're going to have a true birth. <laughs> Out of the volcano? <laughs> yeah, why not? Like, sure. I mean, we've implied that a, another celestial is fucked the planet, literally and metaphorically. <laughs> and so why not just have a true birth? Like, okay. it's just going like, right. to amniotic magma sack. Liquid hot magma. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Okay. I mean, it, like, well, considering what we actually saw out of it was like it just kind of like, and I'm raising my arms and I'm out of the planet now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was so weird. But only kind of. <laughs> actually, I'm now, I'm now very confused, and I forget how they stopped it. Like, I don't remember what happened. Like, how did how they, did they? They fought. They fought the volcano. The... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Wait, but no, but seriously, was it that, uh, was, I guess, well, she, Sarah, she was she able to, like, control stop the it with the, or, like, it, like, re-trapped him in, re-trapped the celestial inside of it, though? Yeah, she can control the Earth, and she tried jamming the giant boulders <clears throat> back into the volcano's spout, but mostly she used the power of ice and froze the world. Okay. Okay. Vaguely. vaguely. Right? Wasn't I just feel like this like is still a problem that this thing is inside the planet. And not just inside the planet, but like, it doesn't, it's not just like popping out and like strolling out of like a spot. It's just kind of like, my arms are out now. Yeah, it's emerging. <laughs> oh my God. So weird. Yeah, I, uh, the twist, the twist of the fact that like, the Eternals are really there to, to build intelligent life so that the Celestial can feed on it. That's an interesting concept. Um Sure. Just undermined by how stupid and obvious the whole thing between them and the Deviants was. Yes. Very stupid. Painful. Really. Uh, and then the whole... It just seems silly like that Ajax, like one of the Eternals can know. Okay, now two of the Eternals can know and nobody else can because they'll they'll rebel or they'll fight it or what. But like, if they were created by the Celestials to do this work, wouldn't that be part of their programming? Um, I'm actually kind of okay with that because that kind of goes back to the whole idea of like, like godly, I'm going to say mythology very loosely here, right? Where it's like, yeah, you have like a, a person is born with free will and then they ultimately do or don't have free will to do what they want to do. And like, that's like the same situation here, right? Where it's like, okay, we like birth you and you are created in, in our images, celestial, and you're going to do as we instruct you to do. And they show up and they go and do it. And like, we, like we, we see similar like stuff with that in history and even like modern day where it's like, you have like a religious fervor to do this thing mm. and you're going to go do it. Whatever the misgivings or evidence is otherwise. Okay. All right, I guess I'll allow it. I yeah, but then ultimately, it's just it's uh, it's all ends up being very flat in the end. Like there's yeah, not, for there's, a lot of it, there's not really anything any real t- like I'm not looking forward to a sequel. I don't. I imagine that it's going to have implications in the greater MCU because of how drastic the situation was. But at the same time, I'm looking forward to a sequel insofar as that it will hopefully provide context as to why I should give a shit about them going forward. Yeah. Because like you have like an Easter egg, like post credit scene where like after whoever quote unquote survived or didn't survive, like ended up happy ish. That whole thing gets flipped over on its head as we see. Like, oh, yeah, no, that was too easy for you, ultimately, and you think you guys, like, stopped a god, and you basically stopped a godling, and here's what a god looks like. Yeah. 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 So, but, you know, it's funny, That's there's your post-credit scene there, and then it's like, I'll, I, I, and basically, the, the giant god thing was like, I'm gonna go review the tapes and decide whether or not this is okay. <laughs> yeah. 
which is such a weird way to end it. I guess he's got like, you know, thousands upon thousands of years of material that he's trying to sort it. Th- it's trying to sort through. Um, Absolutely. So, the, but then we got a post post credit scene that is completely, it's like, oh yes, the Jon Snow character, <laughs> the kid Harrington. Let's, uh, let's bring him back. Um, not still not tell you who he is unless you like are, have a deep understanding of the law, like, like of the lore. You have to like, I'll have to look it up. I don't know anything about these characters at all. Uh, so yeah. I, didn't know who, I didn't know who he was. And then you hear a voice and again, had to look that up because I was like, okay, who is that supposed to be? Turns out it's supposed to be Blade. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm excited about Blade. Uh, no, there's no way. There's no way you know that. <laughs> if you do, you're like, I feel like you're part of this really niche audience that this particular movie was made for. <laughs> Or you recognize Mahershala Ali's voice sight unseen. Yeah, which is crazy to me. I mean, I like even in hindsight, it almost seems like it was modulated slightly. So like I don't <laughs> I don't know that you could necessarily know that. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah, no, that's 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 fair. I'm pretty and pumped to see I'm, him as Blade. Whenever that Yeah. I'm still yeah, I was, I was gonna say I'm still curious as to how, like what direction that goes in ultimately, because sure. we haven't had any news on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But anything else on the Eternals? No, I just I wanted more. I mean, like there was like Same. there was like some fun stuff. Like we like some of the fight scenes were cool, and like sh- you shoot lasers out of your eyes and you shoot them <laughs> out of your hand, and like <laughs> I guess like the like the true like relationship that was interesting to me was like Gilgamesh and um Athena, right? Like where they were friends maybe slightly more than friends mm-hmm. but like it was from an inherent we spent thousands of years together i'm gonna try and protect you the best i can like that ended up being like not real quite companions yeah yeah and to watch him go down the way that he did was kind of rough yeah, it was rough yeah and then yeah but like but everything like you you go through the scene by scene you go through like the different points of the movie and like ultimately i feel like every time it's like it just kind of ends in a and then that happens and 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 yeah and and then they stop the thing with earth power and maybe we're okay maybe the giant entity in the sky comes back and just goes nope and just claps the earth and, and, and it was all for nothing <laughs> but what are you gonna do on to the next one that's all for this week's episode of flicks in the six we hope you enjoyed it as always, if you have a movie for us to review or nuggets for us to discuss, you can send those requests to flicksinthesix at thespintune.com or tweet us at thespintune. Tune in next week for more movie. I forgot what our handle was. Tune in next week for more movie <laughs> and beer goodness. Until then, I'm Anthony Costanzo. I'm Albie Olsey. Thanks for coming out. Manda watch. Like I, I think that should probably supersede the Bobus feature fet because absolutely. this wasn't in um, anything other than the most strictest definition of Bobus feature fet. This was, as I termed it, I think earlier, the book of Manda Fett. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, yeah, there's because he Boba Fett's not even in it. His name is mentioned, right? That's pretty much it. This is a full-on Mandalorian episode. He is not visually represented for even a single second. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, the only reason why I was confused about that is I accidentally started the wrong episode first. And I was like, okay, we're starting off in the back to back, back to back to tank. Yes. Okay, cool. We're riding. This, I've, I've this. made that mistake in the past too. Like, it's because it's when, back to tank when, and then he rides a Bantha. So it's, it's <laughs> no, 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 not that mistake. No. When I go to click on an episode, it's like, oh, continue watching. I'm like, so surely I will, since I have finished the last episode, this will continue and put me on the next yeah. episode. And nope. Here's the last. 14 seconds of the episode prior to it. Like, well, no, I finished that. For episode. me, it was the beginning of the episode, which is why I was really confused. It was just like starting off. It's like, okay, we're going to do a, we're going to start this episode with a flashback. And I was like, wait a minute. I've seen this before. I've seen this before. I've watched this episode. Then I backed out. <laughs> I, went, I went into it. And, I, and when it said, uh, when the title of the episode was the return of the Mandalorian, I was like, Ooh, I'm excited. And then I really didn't expect to get a full on Mando episode, but, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. It. And uh, there's been some gr- there's been some fun to be had in the book of Boba Fett, but this was my favorite episode so far. Probably, yeah. And that's not a great sign for the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> no, and that's kind of going back to the point I was making earlier about like Seven Walls, like hypothetical that maybe like Favreau is just viewing this as all one big television yeah. show, and that each like section of it informs the rest of the tapestry to come. Yeah. So let's let, going through this. Like we get to, we kick it off real strong with silhouette of Mandalorian armor. So it's like, it could be Boba Fett. Don't know really how this is going to play out this, this episode. And then, you know, we get a little bit more of that, like with that Western vibe. And sure enough, it's in Jaren and he's coming in, he's collecting a bounty. And we finally get to see that with that, that dark saber do some damage and that was really fun. Like, and seeing him wield it and struggling to wield it and like getting hurt along the way was actually like it made for a pretty intense sequence. Oh yeah, I mean, it'd be like watching like a like a Lord of the Rings type movie and like Aragorn is like flying around with his sword, he's like slicing everyone up, and then all of a sudden almost chops off his own leg. Yeah. Like, well, how'd you manage that? Uh, I got heavy. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much how it was explained to me watching the show. Uh, yeah, yeah. But that's pretty cool. He killed one of the dog face people. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the dog face people. <laughs> and they let. Pretty good amount of them, yeah. And then we find out that we're actually on a Halo ring. And this is where Star Wars and Halo crossover. <laughs> I was thinking that too, yeah, because it was kind of like a cross between like the Mass Effect Citadel and like a Halo ring. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be. Kato Namoidia, which was obviously an important place in the prequels, because that's where, like, the Trade Federation was based out of Kato Namoidia. Like, the Newt Gunray was a Namoidian. Mm. That's where, if you remember in the final scenes of Episode 3, when Master Plo Koon gets shot down over, like, some city that is racing across, yeah. that's supposed to be... Kato Nemoidia, he's actually doing the loop of the ring. Oh, interesting. They, uh, yeah, because if you look at the perspective that's shot in that scene, which is, it's very small, You like, if you weren't aware of the expanded universe, like, you might not even be aware of the character's name. Um, as that's, like, going, like, he's Rick racing along, you can kind of see that, like, the pers- the perspective of the landscape looks a little bit off. I'm pretty sure that's what it's supposed to be. Cool. There was a, an episode... Actually, I think it might have been more than one episode. I think it was like a multiple episode run on Star Wars Clone Wars on 
well, I guess now it's on Disney Plus or whatever. They did a couple episode run on Kato Nomoria, and like I think New Gunroy's still there, and he's still playing both sides of the mm. um, conflict between the rebels and the Empire. And they like I, I remember them having on, on Clone Wars. They did this whole like thing where it's like, oh yeah, even though the Trade Federation's based out of here it's its own thing and like i think padme goes there and she's trying to rally support to s- keep kid and like part of the republic hmm. but like she almost gets assassinated and there's this whole thing and it's very obvious that they're kind of like a area of you can't trust anyone because you don't know who is on which side of the conflict and they're sure. trying to like drawing out the conflict there Ah, interesting so I'm kind of curious though now, like, like what was the, is there, I wonder if there's like a deeper reason behind staging those events there, or if is it more just like foreshadowing that we're also going to bring in some other tech from the era so that like, like the foreshadowing that we're going to get like that Nubian starship later. I mean, like that's definitely not the last we've seen that starship, right? Which is really, it was really, a, it was such an awesome sequence of rebuilding it. Also, when yeah, they were I, uncovering it, I was like, I swear to God, is that Anakin's pod racer? <laughs> like, what's going that's on? That's what I thought, too, when she, when she's unleashing. You see two main, like, pieces, like, up ahead of what the rest of it is. Like, yeah. that's not a ship. That's a fucking pod racer. And she flips it off. It's like, oh, okay, it's a Nubian starfighter or whatever. Um, I don't know where they go with that. Obviously, I think it's it's a big deal that she hollowed out the droid port. And, like, For Grogu. That looks like it's... That's got to be where it's Grogu absolutely Grogu. It's Grogu's port. <laughs> yes, but on the other hand, it's like okay, like the Razor Crest was like honestly kind of a piece of shit, but like it's big enough that you could have a bunk in there. And it's yeah. like, Oh, we're on like a hyperspace journey that's going to last us a week. You can sleep in the bunk, and like you can walk around the ship slightly to stretch your legs. Like it's not just yeah. a starfighter. Like there is no cockpit here. Like the cockpit is you sit in this seat and you fight. Yeah. Yeah, it's it was really cool though to see that that ship and that style in action again. Um, it is funny if you think about, I think a couple of weeks ago you were talking about the effects of the show, and it's like, are they holding out? Like, and there's going to be like, is there going to be way more like special effects in some later episodes? This one had a good chunk of it. I feel like, especially when it came down to yeah. bombing that planet, that was pretty cool. Also, like you get big fight scenes with the dark saber, and like yeah. that's going to require something of you, absolutely, to, like show on screen, and like this more practical effects, but like the amount of Clatoonians or whatever, like the dog face people, like yeah. there's a bunch of them, and they're all wearing heavy makeup and like lacquer. I'm assuming, like you know, like you just go do the thing. They're not regular old like people, like humanoids. Like they keep biting Mando's fucking hand yep. during the fight, and he's hacking through them with a cleaver, essentially, like a laser cleaver. Yeah. That's it is awesome. I circling back to the uh to the Starfighter, there was a couple of things that I thought that did really well. Uh when he's in when Mando's in the ship and he's like starting it up, and the I believe he like he like flips the little lever and clicks the buttons and flips the one last switch. I'm pretty sure in like the same sequence that Anakin does when he's taking off <laughs> uh, in Phantom Menace. Like it's like, the, it's almost yeah. like the same exact shot, which I thought was really cool to do. Um, the <laughs> getting pulled over by the cops was a really funny <laughs> sequence. Uh, who was the, so the one X-Wing pilot was from a previous episode 
but yes, the, which the, but he brought back when he like referenced like, "Hey, is there any chance like you were here and they yeah. are doing this?" But was the, the the more junior one was he was he supposed to be somebody you think? Well, I looked up. I was reading something. He um was the actual body actor who was Luke Skywalker in the final bit of last season where like they they did like the deep fake like thing to have mark hamill's face on it but he was the guy who physically was the body walking around and like fighting the the um oh those aren't death troopers right what are they called the uh uh, hell hell hellas are they hell (laughs) they're not a hellas logger hellas troopers (laughs) i forget the name of the yeah me too i'm so mad i was yeah, whatever. So, but another callback though. So after he gets back to um, the dock where they were working on the ship, and he gets out, and she asks him how it was, he responds, "Wizard," which is I'm pretty sure what Anakin's little friend says in *Phantom Menace* when, the, <laughs> when he's piloting the ship. Uh, and then, of course, there was the one scene that really gave me chills was when BD popped in and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> that's my little buddy. <laughs> yeah. I was so, I was like, I was like, Oh my God, is that BD one? Like, yeah. How is he just going to like show up like that with no reference to the fact that Cal Kestis is still out there? Yeah. I, uh, I think it's just more of a, we didn't forget about these characters. Here's a little taste. <laughs> sure. I was just surprised that they like showed it right up at the beginning. Yeah. Showed it so much. And it's like, Hey, BD. And it's like, no, no, there's only one BD. He could be something else. He could be literally anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. That was cool. I also, I, I was wondering after a little while, I was like, oh, is he, is he, is he just going to hop in the starship? <laughs> Go with him. <laughs> and to be, to be, so if I, if I followed correctly, Mando gave the, uh, the Smith, his spear, his yes. Beskar spear. And they totally made that into mini chainmail armor for Grogu, right? Yes. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. I really want to see him wearing a knight's outfit. <laughs> I was I was, I mean I was a little confused cuz like they they melted down the spear and they made the little bit of armor the little links. But it's it's in something that's like you could fit in the palm of your hand. Mm-hmm. That's not the amount of beskar that was given to them from the spear, so yeah, maybe woven together in such small pieces it looks that way. I don't know. I did like the fact that it was tied in such a way that it resembled Grogu's head. That was definitely intentional <laughs> like that, yes. It is it's it is odd because it's there has to be leftover Beskar from that. Like it's just right. like not it's clearly not one to one. I feel like I missed something in that whole sequence in the beginning. Uh she melts it down, makes the armor, um, and then the other Mandalorian challenges him for to a duel, and I thought it was going to be more. I thought you know I thought it was more for like you know trying. I I thought they were trying to make a point so that like he would end up having to use the saber and like he would like learn how to because it'd be like actual stress on him and he'd actually be using it to fight. And then it became like this really like oh this guy's like legit trying to kill you like what's happening here? Yeah, that's so that seems very bumpy to me. That's Paz Vizsla who is. A descendant of Previsla, who was a Clone Wars character, who is a descendant of Tarvisla, who was the first Mandalorian Jedi, which unified like there was however many generations of Jedi and Mandalorian war, 
in the old Republic times or pre old Republic. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's many thousands of years ago. And so Tarvisla realizes that he has capabilities of a Jedi. He joins the Jedi. He forges his lightsaber. It's the dark saber. It's the only lightsaber of its kind. And he is supposed to lead Mandalore to a better future that is more harmonious with the Jedi, even if they don't necessarily become best friends, like they're not going to be in open war anymore. Mm. And so I'm a little confused because Din gets exiled by what's left of the quote unquote Mandalorians between the armor and Paz Vesla because he admits to having taken off his helmets. Now I've watched the whole clone wars and Prey Vesla, who is Paz's uncle grandfather. I don't know exactly what father, mm-hmm. one of those things, direct, direct ancestor, like not like you know, someone who he's met because it's, we're talking about like a 30 ish year timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're the children of the watch, right? Like arm, the armorer and Paz Vizsla and Din Djarin have all been part of the children of the watch, which is a splinter group from death watch, which was a splinter group of Mandalorian culture in the clone war show. It's a time right before the fall of the Republic during the midst of the clone wars where Mandalore finally got its shit together. They had had civil wars in the past. They had had their like, thousand years war with the Jedi or whatever the fuck it was. And they decided that they were going to reject ultimately their quote unquote, like Sparta type of like history and become Athens essentially where it's Uh democracy. It's we're going to be the best that we could possibly be the smartest and the most academic and all that sort of stuff. And there was obviously a sub portion of, Mandalorians who decided they didn't want to do that. It was Death Watch that created kind of a civil war. Death Watch gets to take over. Bo-Katan betrays her sister, who was Duchess Satine, who was in charge of Mandalore. She joins Death Watch, realizes Death Watch is like fanatical terrorist types. Right. And it's like, no, no, no. There's got to be some sort of middle ground between the Athenian almost like non-conflict version and the Death Witch. The Death Watch, like, we're going to kill our way to the top type of like thing, but Prey Visla was the traitor who was part of Death Watch, who had been part of like the Athenian-ish government of Mandalore. You see his face a million times, mm. and other Death Watch members as well. And now the Children of the Watch—if you show your face for a second, you get yeah disavowed. I've never understood this. It this it really came to a head in this episode for me because I've not understood it all along. It's like okay, fine. You could make the argument like, okay, maybe it's okay to just be seen among other Mandalorians, right? If you only take your helmet off among other Mandalorians, because like otherwise, like you know, how do you reproduce, right? If you get married mm-hmm. to another Mandalorian, like I imagine, behind closed doors, you're allowed to take your helmet off with your you're wife. Not. You can take the rest of the armor makes, off. Makes for awkward lovemaking, but sure. regardless, um, we've seen Death Watch characters' faces before, and so. I'm, curious as to why it's so strict about this because we haven't seen a good reason for that yet i'm not saying there hasn't been a reason but we haven't seen a good reason for that before i can understand if you want to say hey listen i'm gonna limit the amount of outsiders and cs but you think among your own people you'd be able to be seen and yet death watch routinely maybe this group is so fanatical and maybe they're like not really who they say they are and they're trying to keep that all hush hush well, it's not uncommon either to see, like, you know, like the IRA, like Irish 
terrorists, if you want to say it, like fighting against the Protestants in Northern Ireland. Like, I'm sure you have a million, not a million, you have a whole bunch of them who were blown up car bombs and shit like that. And you have a bunch of them who was like, no, I just think this is like an unfair injustice and you take, you're trying to take care of it legislatively. And like in the same way, like you have Death Watch who is both actively lobbying in a political way to take over from Mandalore and then also in an unofficial, unpolitical way, we're going to go blow things up and try and instigate change. Mm. Like you can have factions that play both sides. I didn't really get the whole thing about like, okay, he took his helmet off. You're not going to take any explanation. He is just gone, right? Considering Paz Vessel had already said that he hadn't really lived up 100% to the Mandalorian way, but he was trying his best and he was going to do the dual thing and try and take the Darksaber. And I understand it because you take it in combat. We've already seen that in Harry Potter recently ish, where it's like, you know, fight for the Elder Wand and take yeah. the Elder Wand and fight for the Darksaber and take the Darksaber and it will lead to a thousand years of peace. I'm skeptical of that. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of curious. Um, there was a big setup there. We said this is going to be, I forget, seven episodes, right? So there's two more? Two more. So, it's. I mean, it sounds like he was on board with going to hell Boba Fett. So, like, are we getting another episode that is, like, going to be heavy in the Mando situation of him finishing whatever he's doing to bring his little chainmail armor to Grogu and then coming back and joining whatever war is going to break out in the, in the final episode of the season. I don't know. I'm, I think I'm not curious. just, not just like heavy Mandalorian. I think he's probably like, he, he like he, he wasn't just like, Oh yeah. Like I'm amenable to your thing. He declined payment. Yeah. He's fully in like hook, line and sinker. Right. right. Like, but I imagine we're going to get him going off to see Grogu. Now, whether we see that, it may happen off screen. And he may like swoop in to rescue the 11th hour like two episodes from now. Uh, that's, Maybe. that's probably more likely what's going to happen, right? With all the setup to the ship. Like the Starfighter will yes. come swooping in in the last minute when it seems like they're probably going to lose and just blast away everything. Yeah, I think that the next episode is really going to be the nitty gritty of trying to pretend, that, or not pretend, to like defend themselves like from... Mm this attack and I imagine it's going to be trying to coalesce the power that they have, with the people who are physically there and trying to go get the, the uh, Tuscan Raiders and stuff like that. And I, I imagine Din will show up at some point down the line, either right before the battle or in the middle of it, kind of like the way that Han Solo did in the original star Wars, where Luke is all alone. He's trying to take down the, um, the exhaust port. He's trying to hit it. And like Han Solo shows up and it like, if Mando doesn't come swooping in with a Yahoo, I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> I would too, but you, know, you could see him come in and like strafe some enemies. And then after he's done the strafing, be like, Yahoo. I kind of want to okay, put yeah. 20 bucks on it now that he's going to say yeehaw. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's go with the whole cowboy Western vibe. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Either that or that's what Boba's going to say while he's riding the Rancor. <laughs> or the Mythosaur, which they talked about with the Mandalorians and they showed the, the symbol of again. And like, no, no, no. No one's written one of those in 50 years. And also, they may not exist. And it's like, but what if they do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it was a great episode. I'm looking forward to the next two. I also loved, I loved seeing BD. 
in a <laughs> the little cat droid is basically what he looks like to me, and I love the little. The, the, what he ran off screen to chase one of the little rats, and I thought it was great. I don't know if you caught it. It was like the bottom right of the screen. He's just like ooh, and he just chased one. <laughs> no, there's a couple good Easter eggs between BD and whether or not it's BD. Was it BD one right from? Yeah, I think so. Um, there was something else in this episode that I'm forgetting now. Well, the mechanic speaking like, Java. That was cool, um, but like that was actually tipped off. I'm pretty sure she said earlier in the episode I used to date one of them. Yep, she's a human who's dated a Jawa. Yep, and then she said they're there's... very furry and made a Ugh. weird face and did something with her mouth that I, I feel like was maybe inappropriate for a Disney. No, <laughs> hey, <laughs> but. Cool. But she was good. She was entertaining. Like yeah. Amy Sedaris has done a good job in this role. I think generally she does a good job. She is great as Princess Carolyn in um what's the Bojack Horseman. Mm. Well, I think we're uh we're done with that one for this week. Looking forward to next week's Book of Amanda Flat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>